want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, it's... 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, get Hello and welcome to the Televerse Sound On Sight TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, I think the question everyone needs to know, it's on the tip of all of our tongues, is what color is the dress for you? Well, at this point we're recording on Monday night. It's, it's several, it's about 72 hours after the fear has died down. Um, and I, I will try to keep this short, but I, I will say that my reaction was for the first half hour why is the internet being ridiculous? It's <laughs> clearly white and gold. This is really stupid. Uh, so I just thought it was a typical example of Twitter being full of idiots, as it so often is. Which uh, is one of the things uh, at least I like about Twitter. But yeah, it's fun. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but I was like, whatever. It's, it is perfectly ignorable. Also, people have already forgotten about the llamas somehow. It just took over. Uh, llama, but that was llama. still happening. Yeah, that was uh, great. And, and then I was instructed to look from the bottom up. And that was when the switch happened. And that freaked me the hell out. And I was just like, oh my God, this is, this is, and so it was, it, ter- it devolved into this like actually interesting uh, discussion of, of how the brain works and color theory and things like that. And uh, so, yeah, that was, that was good meme, internet, good meme. Yeah. And the, I feel like the number one takeaway for me with the dress is everybody grumbling about the dress can just i'm trying to swear less on the podcast so you can go (laughs) so am i elsewhere and leave us alone (laughs) because uh because it's about perception and worldview and acknowledging that other people can have just as valid an experience that is absolutely diametrically opposed and neither one of you is wrong and the the cognitive dissonance that goes along with that as well as just having fun Yes. Well, I assume that all the grumblers didn't have an experience like I did. Yeah. Where your mind was just like briefly blown by elementary science. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was white and gold for me. Uh, and I tried the the trick thing, the going up from an angling and none of that did anything. And then right before I went to bed, I just happened to like pull up my phone and it was still up and it was obviously dark blue and black. And I was like... Oh my God, <laughs> similar to you. <laughs> and now it's white and gold again. So I have enjoyed watching various celebrities chime in. John Oliver is white and gold. Mindy Kaling and Taylor Swift, I believe, are both. No, actually, Mindy Kaling is definitely blue and black. I'm not sure where Taylor Swift went. Uh, ended up with it. But it's been it's been a fun couple of days on the internet. By the way, net neutrality passed the same day as the dress and the llamas. So it was a good internet day. Uh, but at the end of the podcast, we're talking with Whitney McIntosh from Sound on Sight. She's back on the podcast to help us look at Charmed, which you exploded my brain uh, by letting me know that, that is one of the most streamed shows online. Uh, still fascinating to me. Uh, according to Wikipedia, as of something like 2012 or 2013, it was the second most streamed show via Amazon, I believe, mm-hmm. which like, damn. Yeah. And granted, they had fewer options than Netflix or Hulu, but still 
That is impressive. So we're talking Charmed at the end of the podcast. We talked with a bunch of you guys this week as well. Um, at the website, Behammer100 says, with all your praising of the Americans, I'm surprised there isn't an Americans podcast. I would assume he means at Sound Insight. There is an Insiders, I want to say like at Slate, where the showrunners talk about stuff. Um, and uh, Behammer says, I don't care about the Oscars, but if Timo, uh, Timothy Oliphant, that's Timo was my wording, and Walton Goggins were hosts, dot, 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 which, first of all, uh, yes, that would, I'm sure, be a lot of fun. I would just, just Walton Goggins with anyone, even just, just get out there and let him present. Come on. Let's raise his profile. Oh, man, there'd be, I don't know if Hollywood could handle all that sass on one stage. <laughs> um, but as for the Americans podcast, yeah, if we had more time, and, you know, this could get paid for this job, we would absolutely have an Americans <laughs> podcast because we well, love that show. I think it would help if if anyone watched it. Like, yeah, like, I, I already like it feels I've, I'm tired of telling people to watch the Americans and yelling at them to do it. Um, for some reason, it's just one of those shows that is always going to be a niche thing. And if I thought it was going to be even a little bit more than that ever, then I might be more willing to entertain the idea. Well, yeah, I, we already have. Um, I already have another weekly podcast right now, and I also already have one uh, intensely time-consuming labor of love podcast for a show that nobody watches, which is the Hannibal podcast that I, the two, <laughs> with Sean Coletti. Um, so I just can't. I just can't responsibly take on another one, which is why I'm not doing a Twin Peaks podcast for Sound Insight either. As much as I would love to, there's so many shows either that are coming back like Twin Peaks or currently on like the Americans that I would love to really dive into and which could absolutely stand up to it. When Mad Men's going to come back, that's another one that could absolutely stand up to it. But we just don't have the time with our other full-time jobs. <laughs> so that's why. Um, oh, well, Behammer. Thank you for writing in. Uh, Mario says, I kept thinking about about looking, he says. I kept thinking Patrick was saying he was dressed as Morgan Freeman, not Gordon Freeman. And in that case, Mario, I want to know Morgan Freeman from what movie? Uh, what From what movie did that costume make sense for you? The, that, that, though, that does sound delightful, and I'm going to have fun thinking about that. Dreamcatcher, uh, maybe? <laughs> I just, I'm not familiar enough with Morgan Freeman movies like genre films that he's not just playing like God. There there aren't that many of them is why. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Mario also says, thanks for turning me on to Man Seeking Woman. Glad that you checked it out. And also he made Flan and showed us a picture, sent us a picture and invited us over next time. Uh, and that looks like an excellent Flan. I hope it was delicious. He said it was delicious. What did you think? Uh, as far as Flans go, it looked like a model Flan. I still find the concept of Flan repellent, but... <laughs> I'm sure it's delicious if you can stomach how it looks. Yep, and, and I, again, not trying to be insulting. It's it's a flan thing. It's just me. I'm being flan cyst or something. <laughs> Mario is constantly uh, making me jealous and or grumbly in the you know tummy grumbly on on Facebook because he's constantly posting amazing photos of his baking and, and various things. So he's a if. Based on looks, he's a fantastic baker. Uh, I, I would assume they also taste delicious, but, you know, obviously we don't have smell vision yet. Um, let's see. The last thing I have here from Mario is that uh, he watched episode one of the um, Australian version of The Slap, and he says the subtle changes work and are very US TV, and it's interesting to watch Melissa George in both of them. He had a few other thoughts on, you know, the American slap, the uh, the Aussie slap, but I wanted to mention that. So, at least one of our listeners has checked it out and thinks it's interesting. So thanks for letting us know, Mario. 
that's very cool. Uh, since you mentioned cooking shows, I wanted to plug something really quickly uh, before we move on. I just, uh, a couple days ago, th via Twitter, discovered uh, an Australian fake cooking show called Catering. That's with two people named Kate. Um, and it's really, I've always wanted a, a, a parody cooking show. And I, as far as I've known, I've never been able to find one. And I found one, and it's Australian, and it's hilarious. And you can watch it for free on YouTube. That is all. Catering. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. Uh, Carl says, "Has have you watched any of the A&E version of The Returned, the Les Revenants remake uh, that's ha that's premiering, I believe, this week? Uh, should I just go back to the original to watch? And then I didn't get back to him right away. And so a few days later, finally watching Les Revenants on Netflix from Carl. I should have listened to Kate and Simon much sooner. It is creepy and beautiful. So I'm glad you checked it out, Carl. And no, we haven't seen, we don't get any screeners, unfortunately. So we have not seen any of the U.S. version of The Returned. Are you going to check it out this week? Uh, I'm under the impression uh, that it is a strict shot-for-shot -shot remake, which is ridiculous. So if, if that turns out to be the case... I'm definitely not watching it. If it turns out to be something looser than that, I may entertain it if I hear good things. But at this point, man, as you can see, it is getting hairy out there. It is ridiculous. And yeah, this is one of those situations where um, if we got screeners for it, I would have watched them because I watched all the screeners they send me. Um, they meaning anyone, uh, any network or channel, <laughs> I should specify, I guess. Um, but without that flexibility of the screeners, there's just, there's not enough time. I work nights. So finding, you know, between sleep and, you know, everything else that I do at Sound On Sight, there's very little time and very little flexibility. So we'll see if I make time for it. But right now I'm not really planning to. I'm glad you checked out Le Revenant though and let us know what you think when you get to the end of the season. Uh, the question of the week was, who could host the Oscars? And we already heard from B. Hammer. Uh, Carl says, I would watch an Oscars hosted and directed by Louis C.K. He would know how to break the format. What do you think? Could he, could he host, direct the Oscars? I would watch either or, hosted or directed by Louis C.K. I feel like that just wouldn't work because the first thing he'd do would be like, hey, so all this stuff that you guys do that takes up an hour and a half, can we not do that? Because nobody likes it. Yeah, well, Ever. let's just give him veto power over the Oscars and oh, see what yes. happens. His version of the Oscars, I feel like, would be about 88 minutes long, mm -hmm. and it would be half him with, like, a new hour of stand-up that he came up with that week. So, yes, I would be totally down for that. Uh, also talked Fortitude with Libby and Emma, talked The Dress with everyone um and we we would be remiss if we did not mention of course this week got the sad news of the passing of leonard nimoy we do have plans to do a um a dvd shelf of star trek the original series so we will be talking leonard nimoy in the not distant future here um it's been one we've been looking forward to covering a show we've been looking forward to covering for a while but i haven't you know this finally got us to get off our butts and find the right guests to talk about it. So, um, yeah, Leonard Nimoy, it seems like everybody loved him <laughs> and there's no better thing. Like with all the live long and prosper things that have been going around, as far as everyone can tell, at least that I can tell, uh, he did both. And that's, you can't ask for better than that. It looks like he had a wonderful life. That was another good moment for the internet this week that I did not spot one single bit of anyone being nasty or snarky or jerky or anything negative at all about Leonard Nimoy. And I saw a lot. Yeah. I forget who it was who said it, uh, but I, the, 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 the comment that really stood out to me was that he uh, was particularly notable for always being known or associated primarily with one thing. 
uh, and yet finding a way to build a, a really interesting and varied and distinctive career despite that or, be, or sort of around that uh, without being strictly pigeonholed, which is interesting. I, that's, I can't think of too many people who could who accomplished that. Yeah, absolutely agree. And uh, I think it's, I, I appreciated um, President Obama's thoughts on Nimoy talking about how Spock and that character and that performance was utterly groundbreaking for nerds. So while there were no other, nerd wasn't cool and there were no positive, completely positive portrayals of nerds on TV, If even if they were the heroes, they were scrawny and um, socially awkward and everything. And then you look at Spock and he's the strongest person on the ship and he can kick your ass. He just doesn't choose to. And he's driven by... Uh, knowledge and a quest to discover. Um, I, you know, I, he, Obama didn't say all that, but he said the gist. And so I just thought that it was right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's a bit more busy than I am. Uh, but, uh, I did, I thought that was a really nice sentiment and, uh, it, yeah, there's, there's a lot of great stuff going around about Nimoy this week. We had to, we have, of course had to mention him here. Yeah. Pff, more busy. He doesn't watch half the TV. We do. <laughs> that, that's it. I, I hope to God he doesn't. I really hope he doesn't. Um, this week, I was uh, also speaking of too busy. I was glad to be asked back on the TV Times Three podcast, where I talked quite a bit about Agent Carter and Walking Dead. Uh, yeah, obviously, also the Walking Dead podcast, but still, um, and uh, Flash and some other shows. So uh, we're we're going to keep Agent Carter short here because you can just go listen this week to me talking about about that stuff over on TV times three, uh, with friend of the show, Jason Griffin. Um, also this week, I want to mention it sound on site. We had last past week, we had great articles go up for, uh, in conjunction with the finale parks and rec. We had an article from JJ and from George, but especially Sean, uh, former co-host of the podcast, Sean Coletti wrote a beautiful piece about, uh, how Leslie Nope, uh, he feels made him a better person, that character and experiencing the show. But that character had, improved him as an individual so you guys should all go check that out and then this coming week we already have this is why we love tv week uh, at sound on site so we max wrote up louie and katie wrote up friends tressa wrote up twin peaks we got a bunch of stuff going up this week so you guys should all go over there and check it out as well as of course our regular reviews and everything but lots of great stuff happening over at sound on site tv uh what else have i forgotten anything else we should mention oh dear god no we should get going we should get going okay well we're gonna take a break then and come back with our ridiculous i swear they're trying to kill us uh week in comedy be right back after this you were born on a black day shot through with starlight and all the angels singing just about got it right cut through with silver
This Week in Comedy, we're going to talk about the Parks and Rec finale, One Last Ride, then A Little Last Man on Earth, the pilot, two-part pilot aired, of course, this week. Then we have Broad City, Citizenship, Man Seeking Woman's Stain, Fresh Off the Boat, Shaq Fu, Archer, The Canes, Adventure Time, The Diary, Girls, Ask Me My Name, and, of course, Looking, Looking for a Plot. Oh, Looking, we love you so much. Uh, anyways, let's let's <laughs> kick things off with the Parks and Rec finale, One Last Ride, and... This, a lot of people have been ca- uh, comparing this finale to the Six Feet Under finale because of its similar use of uh, flash forward. Um, for me, it's more similar to some other... You know, like, I didn't see it as a direct parallel, um, but I think it's kind of hard to argue that this is a a particularly good like an episode by itself because there's... It, it's, it's a, I think it's a very good finale, but I think if you just look, if, if someone hadn't seen Parks and Rec and were just watching an episode of television, I think the pacing and all those other things, I don't know. Here's the thing. I love this episode, but I don't know that I think it's a good episode of television. What do you think? I kind of agree with you. I think that, uh, I, mind. I think that, <laughs> um, I mean, you've been bigger on this season in general than I have. I think that um, they do uh the, the episode is so centered on giving everyone and i do mean everyone i mean john ralphio gets a separate ending which i kind of loved um everyone gets an ending and that means we have um these first of all those interstitial uh wipes that we got to get to like to get to like oh now we're going to this person in this time period i never never started to like it at any point in that episode because it led to these long silences of just like we're going to do this now. And it really just sort of sapped any urgency out of it, which is fine, I guess for a series finale, but uh, I just, I never liked it as an aesthetic choice, I guess. Um, It's weird to do that. And because it it kind of, it pulls the show back to, this is a mockumentary in a way that I don't think it means to. Um, Whereas they've accepted for, I think things of like five seasons now that no, no one's making a movie. It's just, we're using this as an, as an aesthetic device. Cause there was like a weird tension there. Um, I think more importantly, though, for me, the only parts of the episode that I that I was really affected by were uh, Ron's flash forward, which was amazing, and the dedication to Harris Whittles in the credits, which was devastating. Well, I I really liked pretty much all of the flash forwards, and you know, to, in contrast to a few other shows we've seen have finales recently. It was wonderful that um, having children was a central part of April and Andy's flash forward. But no one else's. So we don't, Donna doesn't, we don't, they don't have kids. And uh, Tom, uh, they don't have kids. So the only people As who far have, as we know. As, as far as we know. We don't see kids. We don't see kids mentioned. We don't, like, I feel like if Donna and Joe, right, had had kids, that would have been mentioned in passing, you know. Like, I love our kids, but the people I have, kids I'm stuck with at school or, you know, I have something. Uh, so I really like that, and there could be kids, but again, the happy endings are not defined by children for everyone the way they are. For example, on Parenthood, everyone's having children. <laughs> uh, you're right, they they do lean away from the, the kids' idea, it's not Parenthood, uh, but they do, I mean, everyone's happy ending does seem, have something to do with... Uh, you know, finding their true love, except for Ron, for whom Lucy Lawless has been weirdly absent. So weirdly absent, right? Like, there's a, and like, you could have the kids run, you could have random kids running around. That would not be hard, you know, or you could, you, there, there's so much they could have 
it was super weird. Did you, like I kept waiting to find out. Oh, she died, but I never show emotion, so uh, that's what happened there, which would have been actually really interesting. Uh, but yeah, no, it was it was it was weird because for everyone else it was such a big deal, and for Ron it was just not even present. It was, and they they pull out. He pulls out a photo, but it's like how many different like time periods do we see of him? And only once does he. I mean, that was a big deal. Also, was I the only one who finds it weird that doesn't he specifically mention that they're going to Ivy League schools? Yeah, uh, something like that. That seems off for, for the Swansons. Yeah, but remember, they were already starting partially formed by the time That's true. he entered their lives. And I also would imagine Lucy Lawless, uh, not named Tammy, I don't remember the character's name, just that it's not Tammy, uh, would have something to say about that as well. So. Right, um, but she's not here, so we don't know. But she's not here, so we don't know. That was <laughs> super weird. Uh, but I, you know, I like that at least they give Tom some failures as well as successes. You know, that there's at least some bumps in the road. Uh, you know, like, yes, it's obviously very aspirational, and everybody ends up happy, and everybody ends up, they're st- all still happily married however many years in the and future. they all get super rich. They all get super rich, and uh, Leslie's the president. I I really think it's Leslie. It could be Ben. Either way is awesome. It could be both of them at various points. But um but yeah, the I like that there are there's at least some variety to it. The pacing of it, like you said, when they have the, the wipe the for me it's not so much about that device as it is the pacing of it. Because every time she touches the person, it's like freeze hold this awkwardly for an extra second on either end of coming into and out of the the flash forward that was a bit that was the only like you know detail i had about it but otherwise i did really love it like what did you think like it was so great to get Anne and chris back however briefly like what which you said that ron's was the most effective of the other ones for you how did like how what did you think of april and andy what did you think of you know where we saw them doing the swing what did you think of all these other things uh it was fine i had Ugh. it all just felt very yeah it was fine i didn't i wasn't really affected by it in any particular direction um when when uh april was talking about how she maybe doesn't want to have kids i thought that was kind of interesting until then she did so mm-hmm. that was the end of that potentially being interesting well, I, I did think that was, I, I thought that was very interesting and it made sense for the character for me. But I also, I totally buy her enjoying the prospect of warping a mind and shaping it all her own. You're like, that that fits for me with, uh, it certainly fits with Andy to want to have kids. And I think it fits with, with her as well. So, I you know, I liked, and I like that Leslie doesn't push her one way or the other, you know. And, and really the overall message of the finale and you know kind of by extension the the show that the point they wanted to leave on was find your team and get to work make a difference in your world and live a meaningful life through work which reminded me uh of treme quite a bit and uh, some of my other favorite shows um but i thought it was very touching i thought it was beautifully put and like i said i'm not sure that it's actually a really good episode but i think it's a very good finale and i certainly loved it I got dusty in there quite a bit. Got dusty for you. Yeah. Um, I'm not totally convinced that I'm more satisfied with this ending than I would have been with the one we got last season, to be honest. I kind of mm-hmm. like the idea of a show like Parks that is so much about working and 
and public service and things and things like that to uh, to do something like we got last season where it just drops you in the middle of future chaos. And it's like, how do we do this? I don't know. It's sort of like more of an angel style finale. If you yeah. want to think of it that way. Uh, I think that's in, sort of more suiting than this, uh, like you said, very aspirational. Everyone gets their rewards and then some more rewards. Um, but uh, it's certainly not a bad finale by any means. I can't imagine anyone being angry at it. Yeah. And like uh, we were saying last week, or I was saying for me, this is one of the best seasons of the show, not the best season of the show, but one of the best seasons of the show. And it's just really nice to see a show go out, if not on its absolute top, but certainly go out really well, because it's kind of rare for the last season of a show to be of a comedy, I should say, to to have as much creative juice as the earlier seasons does do. So it's certainly the fourth best season seriously you think this is the fourth best season i think two three and four were all probably better <sighs> to be continued <laughs> at our eventual dvd show that's, that, that's based on memory i could be wrong let's move on to uh to the new show of the week and that's the last man on earth i've already talked about the pilot the first two episodes and what i thought of it uh what did you think simon and and do you see now why it was kind of hard for me to talk about a birth and a death um uh, yes i do the uh so yeah if you don't want to know anything about last man on earth you haven't gotten to it yet and you really really don't want to know anything uh stop listening right now just stop and then come back in like three minutes okay ready three two one they're gone um it was fairly obvious to me that there was going to be someone else on the show in the present of the show from the way that everyone was talking about it because everyone was like you can't talk about it okay if you can't talk about it and the show is called last man on earth then he's not the only person on earth it was just the only possible thing and also as brazen as you can be there is just no way to do a show with only one person alive not on network tv and not a sitcom uh so it was obvious to me that it's gonna be someone else i found out immediately beforehand <laughs> that it was gonna be kristen shawl so thanks to Twitter. that person who did that uh it was so yeah someone on twitter or something uh but never mind all that how is the show um i, I think it had the, the the pilot the first episode in particular has some uh, really stunning moments i like that um forte who who wrote and created uh has the uh the good sense to really only have that one insert sequence from the past so that we understand he had a life he had a family he was well adjusted he was well liked uh he was uh an, an average healthy adult person uh so that we can see so that we know a we know how far he's fallen and b uh we don't hammer on that every two minutes or have him monologue about it or whatever instead they just lean on on him being remarkably disgusting uh and that's uh ballsier and uh it also makes the show less palatable i think to a wide audience um so i'll be curious to see how quickly they sort of back backtrack from that or how much they decide to lean on that stuff in the next couple episodes uh but yeah i can definitely see there's been there's been some discussion on this one and i can see why but i i i think that just from what happens in the second episode it's clear that they're, that they're going to start softening those edges pretty quickly yeah, I I would imagine that is the case. Um, it, speaking of the first episode, the one of the moments for me that was really powerful is when he goes to, uh, and has having that that interaction with the mannequin, 
and is mm-hmm. you know and and then the arm breaks off and you're waiting for him to burst into at least I was waiting for him to burst into violence or rage um and and instead he just deflates I thought it was such a fantastic choice and it also shows you it shows you so much about him but also maybe about as an audience member what I expect and what I imagine uh as clearly this is what needs to happen this is what's going to happen next we're going to see him rage against the world and it's no he's already past that to just sadness uh, i thought it's, i think it's a yeah. wonderful performance that moment dramatically that moment stood out and there were a lot of great comedic moments as well that was a great moment uh honestly it was all pretty strong the only the only sort of uh through line that i didn't really like was this idea that he's been away from people for so long although really only a couple of years and um all he can seem to talk about is how horny he is <laughs> and like which is you know kind of funny uh, and it does, like I said, lean into the less traditionally palatable aspects of the character. But I thought it was like kind of overplayed. Uh, and by kind of, I mean a lot to, to the degree of like, wow, you're really just going to keep hammering it. Like, you're not just going to make him lonely or sad. You're going to make him like really like dog in heat style horny. Like, really? But all right, whatever. It's a choice. See, but then that worked for me when Kristen Schaal shows up and he literally, literally have the conversation. You know that expression, if you are the last person. And I love that it's that that even though we've spent an episode with him being ridiculously horny uh, and lonely, but also horny, uh, then he he is not interested in her at all because she is so annoying uh and you know and i i could see the people who are frustrated with that depiction especially those who may feel it is uh a, just a stand-in like a gender construct and like stand-in women are are persnickety and they make you follow all these stupid rules that are pointless and they're and men are slobs and like i can see that but for me it's just these two characters and i i, I really like that i mean I like that she is, for me at least, she's just as hard to take as he is. She's making him stop at a goddamn stop sign after the apocalypse. <laughs> oh, that wasn't nearly that wasn't nearly as infuriating to me to me as her fake grammar rules. <laughs> yeah, that was those are pretty fun. I could identify with a few of those. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, like I like how difficult they make that and that. Um, because just there are two people left on earth what if you didn't get along with the other person would that it would it be better would it be worse what would it be um so i like that that's a i think it's a strong starting point and like you said i would imagine they will soften those those edges pretty quickly here yeah and they have to and they have to introduce other people if only because um biodiversity yeah yeah well yeah we'll see we'll see where they go with that but i would not be surprised to see you know, a handful of the people uh, over the course of this, the season or the series. Um, but for now, we, any other thoughts on this or we should probably start moving on. Cause it's a ridiculous week in comedy. Uh, we will move on, but Hey, good new network comedy. Holy crap. That doesn't happen very often. Yeah. We just got done saying last week that there were two all seasons. So now is this up on par with the other two for you? Blackish and fresh off the boat. I, I don't know if it's on par. I feel like it could, it could be, or it could even exceed them. Or it could just completely crash and burn. But that's that's exciting. That's fun. Next up is Broad City Citizenship. And uh, we got 
as well as many very entertaining moments here. We got the stuff of nightmares with Jaime's American flag contacts. Those are scarred into my <laughs> cerebrum and I can't unsee them. Uh, no, I can't either. But I think more importantly, this was such an amazing showcase for Jaime as a character who frankly hasn't like hasn't worked for me in at least half of his appearances mostly because he you know he's been stuck getting like the silly side plots where no one else is really involved and here they really integrate him more into the group and basically everything with him and lincoln on the boat is gold i loved everything so involved good. in that is especially the i mean it's 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 kind of an old gag but his frat bro voice was <laughs> sorry yeah his blah his frat bro voice was uh the, the stuff of legend yeah it was pretty great like those two work so well together we've seen we've gotten very little of lincoln this season or at least it feels like that probably just because they've i think it's probably more that they've done a good job of leaving us wanting more with him mm -hmm. uh so i really enjoyed getting a bit more time with him and and seeing him outside of the context of alana so getting to see him with someone else in this case jaime i thought worked very well and uh yeah jaime's got a very specific energy uh, that he brings and uh, or the character brings, you know, and so playing those two off of each other, like the super chill of Lincoln with this sort of, uh, I don't know, it's not nervous energy, but just unpredictable kind of energy, at least for me, mm -hmm. of Jaime really worked well. Yeah, I spotted some uh, on a totally different note. I spotted some complaints about the uh, the transgender references on this in this episode, which uh, I won't I can't speak to that, but I will say that the handling of of the, of the situation in which uh in which abby is forced to come out as transgender when she isn't uh, i think managed to milk some humor out of that in ways that were not conventional yeah i thought that worked and uh i i liked you know them doing something a little different with bevers and uh yeah i just i the roommate we never see thing is kind of getting old in an episode like this for me you know it's it's a bit like when when we she's all like backlit and Bever can see her, but we can't. Like it's like guys, come on, just what is? We get what the joke is, but that's a bit too much for me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being. I'm probably just being picky. I think it's finally time to find out she's Taylor Swift or something. Yeah, or or you know, or just like her, you know, like a like an Anne Veal situation, or you know, like go to one extreme, you know. So what I, you're saying is you want Mae Whitman. I would always love to have Mae Whitman on the shows I watch because she is fabulous. Uh, I almost want to watch The Duff because of her, because Ooh. she's so charming. But um, but I think it's time, unless you have any other thoughts on this episode. We Obviously, I think this is one of the better ones of the season, um, and it's been a strong season. Uh, what do you think? Where do you put this with the rest of the season? Yeah, I, I wasn't a fan of last week's, but I think this was, this was maybe the second funniest so far, which is saying something. Quite a lot. Um, let's move on, though, to Man Seeking Woman, Stain. And this episode, I had a very specific relationship with this episode where when I was first watching it, I didn't particularly enjoy it. I wasn't laughing. Um, and I didn't think the opening sequence worked. Uh, I was starting to get into the Destination Wedding in Hell thing. Um for a while until it just the episode was so from josh's point of view that i was just he was so not enjoying it that i couldn't enjoy it and uh, i was just like i don't want to follow him and we have another 10 minutes of this oh god um but then when the turn happens the first time i when i first watched it it, it felt um too quick it didn't really work for me but then as i got away from the episode 
later in my day. And as I, my, you know, subconscious started working on it, all of a sudden, at a certain point, it clicked together. And I really like this episode now. And I, I like the opening gag now with the context of the, the last, you know, the last scene. I think that recontextualizes the opening and makes me like the figures, the ice dancing bit more. Like, I ended up really liking this episode after I initially was completely unimpressed. That's uh, that's a feat for a 22-minute comedy. Um, I think this is probably the best episode so far, and I think that the the turn, as you describe it, when uh, when Josh has made understand, like, look, this isn't not every see all this stuff around you, see this this hundred and fifty people, see this giant thing that's happening, and then there's you. It's not that important, but this is important. You're not important. And even before then, when he goes outside and he finally realizes he's this is just all he's just freaking out about his own stuff it's not about the wedding it's not about maggie it's about his insecurity and and that have him finally having that realization um that he's needed for a while that you know like the combination of those two so like having him have this big moment and then mike's like dude nobody cares not a single person cares. Uh, and then just like the combination of the music and, you know, and the, the action and having them all just, you know, doing it was a conga or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really worked for me. What did, what did you think? Uh, I, I mean, there wasn't really anything about the episode that I think didn't work. Uh, admittedly, uh, I have to admit a bias here because as soon as I found out that it was about a destination wedding in hell, I thought this is, this is meant for me because as far as I'm concerned, all weddings are in hell. Because <laughs> I, strongly dislike weddings and i don't understand why people go to them or throw them uh but that's just me um so i think even if it had been a bad episode i probably still would have liked it but i I, that hopefully uh those final scenes are sort of an indicator of where things i'm hoping that they can maintain that level of wisdom while keeping to these characters but i think that's going to be tricky yeah i would agree with that Uh, mike for example feels like a completely different character here and I like I, I'll give them Mike likes weddings, but the Mike of every other episode would have been talking about banging bridesmaids. That's true. I feel like he's he sort of changes from episode to episode. I I feel like again the show is very much from Josh's perspective, and they, Mike is sort of whatever he needs to be to make uh, the themes of that episode kind of hum. And it helps to have Eric Andre, who I think is very uh, energetic and adaptable, no matter what he needs to play. Um, so. I, again, I, is it is it a bug or a, or, a, or, a, or is it a feature? We'll we'll have to figure that out over time. I'm I'm very curious to see how they handle it from here. I think that uh, if they if they backtread from this, it's just going to look even worse at this point. So mm-hmm. they they really need to keep up the momentum. Yeah, this really feels like a very specific turn for this point in the season. There's only a few episodes left, so we'll see what comes next. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that uh, we're on the same page with this one. How about Fresh Off the Boat, Shaq Fu? I thought this one was really fun, uh, but the 9 to 5 gag didn't work for me like I think it was supposed to. And I'm kind of... What? Dou- exactly. I'm kind of doubting myself as I even say that. The 9 to 5 gag was the best thing about the episode. Yeah, but it felt so writerly. You know, I'm okay with a, with one or two writerly gags in a show that's otherwise, I think, pretty natural about its humor. Uh, and actually, I think the contrast between those things, it, you know, like, I just wasn't expecting an elaborate 9 to 5 video game gag. I just really wasn't. It was the opposite of what I, of what I expect from this sort of show. 
So the fact that it happens and is so lovingly rendered in multiple scenes involving a character we don't even know, uh, I think is actually kind of delightful. Um, the other thing that I really noticed about this episode, which I haven't seen as much of the, of the show as you, so I felt like mentioning it, is that the, the kids in general are just great. Um, <laughs> I like that they're, they're, they come across as like earnestly weird as opposed to constructed generic sitcom weird, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And I agree that they lean on them more here and that works. The 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 thing I will mention about the 9 to 5 gag that did really really work for me is how crappy the kid looked. Like the dark circles and the super pale mm-hmm. skin. Yeah, that that was great. Uh as for the rest of the episode, I like that we're seeing Eddie uh, in yeah, at the at the um at the at Cattleman's here, I thought that was a nice little tease because, of course, anybody watching, a lot of people watching, are going to know that Eddie, you know, what Eddie Huang went on to do with his life. Um, so that that's a nice little start to that. I would assume storyline. It's nice that they give the grandmother something to do besides, you know, play poker and ruin was it middle child or youngest child's life by take by winning the poker of uh, the bear and the stuffed animal and poker, and also as someone. Who grew up uh, until I went to college without air conditioning? Oh, man. Can I relate? In Chicago, Chicago without air conditioning, every year there was like one week where it got up to 100 and humid. So, yeah. I am very familiar with just kind of hanging out in the freezer section of the store. Just kind of like gazing at the ice cream pops or the frozen bags of peas. uh, Because it's just too fucking hot to go home. Yeah. That really worked for me. The only thing I, 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 I would add to that is that last week we got Gelman, uh, Brett Gelman, on Fresh Off the Boat. This week he was on Man Seeking Woman. Uh, he has his own one-off special that just aired on Adult Swim. I think it's going to be Gelman versus Nanjiani for the six-man prize this year. Isn't it just automatically going to Jackson, though? I mean, if he has the year this year like he had last year, I mean, come on. Maybe, but uh, either way, uh, he's he's always delightful. So I just wanted to, to mention that very quickly. Anyway, I'm very much enjoying Fresh Off the Boat. It's It's been great to have a couple of network sitcoms that don't suck. <laughs> uh, high praise there. How about uh, c- cable sitcoms that don't suck? What did you think of Archer? The Canes. Uh, I-, I mostly wanted to mention this because it seemed uh, obvious when I heard about it and I deliberately didn't tell you because uh, I'm try- trying to not spoil things. Thank but you. When I, heard that, when I heard that CCH Powder and Keith David were coming in as Lana's parents, I was like, God damn, that is perfect. And it was. Yeah, it was pretty great. It was driving me to to lunacy because I couldn't place Keith David for some reason. I was like, "Son of a beasting!" I I know I'm gonna feel like an idiot. And then you don't you mean you couldn't place CCH Pounder? No, I mean I couldn't place Keith David. Uh, really? Yeah, and and I knew I should. It's such a distinct. He has such a distinctive voice, and he's been so awesome for so long uh, that I. That's why I felt like a crazy person because I knew I should know it. Uh, so thank you for putting me out of my misery with that earlier today. Uh, yeah, it was a fun episode. I liked. Uh, <laughs> just sorry for trying to spit roast your mom. Uh, such a great time. Oh, oh my god, yeah. Um, but it was a it was a fun. It was definitely a fun episode of Archer, and uh, yeah. Maybe not one of my favorite of the season, but definitely a, a a lot of fun. And and again, like you say, they've had some really on point voice casting this season on Archer. Any other thoughts, or is it time for Adventure Time? Uh, I'll just add that I loved the button with uh, with Keith David's character of 
I, I, I can fix the world. Like, here is all this money. We will give you this money for the rest of your life. Uh, yeah, all right. Let's do that. Screw the world. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, CIA. Anyway, yes, Adventure Time. Um, the diary. The diary. It was nice to see uh, Jake being a quasi-decent parent for part of this episode. That was nice. Mm-hmm. I, I'm oh, sorry. I just Every time I see Tina... Whenever Eugene Merman comes on, I just can't. I can't help it. I hear Tina. I I actually I agree with you on that to the to the extent where like we've had uh, talking about Keith David voice casting. I'm totally okay with Keith David put popping up uh, in a million things as he does in Adventure Time as well. Uh, but for some reason with Eugene Merman, strictly Tina. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I don't know. I mean, I it's fun and in my head. That character is just Tina, but in Adventure Time, you know, especially like pouring and getting obsessed with the diaries, absolutely something that Tina would do. Uh, and so that, yeah, that that was my only thing with this episode. I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with it. And I like, I was just the whole time, of course, anybody I'm sure who's watching is spending the entirety of the episode with at least 40% of their brain thinking, BP, uh, Breakfast Princess. No, no, too young. Okay. Like... <laughs> The whole time. So I like the, the, that, you know, they, they say, like, Betty. You're like, oh, my God. Betty, Betty. Like, Ice King Betty. But you're like, oh, Justin, no, that's not right. You're like, I I, I think it's <laughs> so much fun. And I like that they do actually answer who it is at the end of the episode. Yes. And it's a, and it's a non-depressing answer. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that Adventure Time. I, I would just add to that. I love the notion of she reads the letter. And because she's she's so tuned into teen, teenage girlhoodness. Uh, she is just able to map out the entire narrative right down to the uh, I had a hand replaced with a crab claw. Yeah, he, by the way, because that's right. The Jake's son, not daughter. Right. Because yes, I say right. Tina every time. Yes, right. Tina's screwed us on this, hasn't yeah, she? Yeah, she totally has. Much as we love Tina, it is uh, time to move on to a different kind of adventure. Girls ask me my name. We spent a lot more time this week with Mimi Rose. Uh, we met Ace Played by Zachary Quinto. Uh, How do you feel about this this episode? First of all, Quinto, man. Quinto's winning me over this year, if only because I had no idea he was going to be in this, and I've never seen him play a character remotely like this. Mm-hmm. And just to play his performances on the slap and this back-to-back, dude's got range. <laughs> yeah. And a sense of humor. And, uh, yes. yeah, Yeah. To want to do these two shows. Yeah, or could you imagine if he doesn't have a sense of humor? Then he's an incredible actor. Um, but anyway, uh, this episode was such a mess, and I, I but I mostly enjoyed it. Um, for the first half, I was convinced that they were essentially throwing Mimi Rose under the bus. Um, and I still think they kind of did, although not entirely. Like, some of her torso is still dangling out, and it, and it you know, I don't know, it's still twitching. I don't know. They don't totally do it, but um, I feel as though it makes this episode kind of makes clear that she's not uh, going to be an even semi-permanent fixture uh, for all that long, which I think is uh, potentially a disappointment. But, you know, we literally jumped right in this week with Hannah at a new job as a sub at some sort of weird alternative high school. I don't really know how the United States alternative education system works or how you get a sub job just like that. But after what, like two or three weeks? But uh, yeah, I don't know. It was all over the place, and I think they're making clear at this point that Adam is uh, is an ocean of sanity in a, in a world gone mad. 
<laughs> clearly, uh, yeah. Talk about throwing under the bus. I mean, she's clearly evil, um, as far as I'm concerned. But she's also really interesting, and I like I like that Hannah feels like she gets she she gets why people like Mimi Rose. I I, I thought that that sort of them coming into like onto friendly terms by you know or at least her seeing what Adam sees in her and understanding at least somewhat even if she's still broken up about it I thought that really worked well um but yeah her her she's a queen of manipulation and uh her offering to slowly withdraw emotionally oh god and <laughs> that is the devil speaking clearly because either she would do that to Adam or she's just screwing with Hannah you know, prompting Hannah to say this to like either it's mind games or it's just absolute lack of uh, a soul. <laughs> to I don't any think kind it's of empathy. either. I don't think it's either exactly. Um, lack of empathy, maybe. I think it's just that she sees the world as an art project and she sees her life as an art project, um, probably due to some sort of. Um, like you said, a shortfall of empathy. I, I I think by the time the episode is over, you still kind of feel for her, even though, like you said, she does have um, evilish tendencies. Yeah, I did like her explanation for the for the art project. Yes, and and that that was really thoughtful, and uh, and and how <laughs> Hannah was able to like immediately just stop telling me things about you because I don't want to like you uh, was the subtext there. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty great. Uh, as for the rest of the episode, like you said, Quinta's so much fun as Ace. I don't know. Th this felt like maybe, I don't know if it was the broadest episode of, of Girls ever, but it must be close because it was just so wacky. Yeah, it was between the cab ride and the running between the different spaces and all of that. Uh, but I did think there was some, some pretty good stuff. I liked Fran before, you know, she did that to him. Uh, I thought that worked pretty well. And watching Hannah talk with the kids and you know at the at the catholic school was was pretty fun even though that's not how subbing works but uh you know that was still they don't usually you know actually let you plan your own lesson but uh but still no that was that was um it was a good episode i liked it i had fun with it and i look forward to seeing where they go next any other thoughts uh no let's barrel right along okay looking uh, looking for a plot and this is finally our Doris episode and after girls and the awkwardness and pain there and last week all of the HBO shows there's quite a bit of that in togetherness which we're holding off to talking about until next week as well but this was a fantastic episode as far as I'm concerned and throughout the whole episode at least if you're me you're like just about ready to grab the Kleenex and then thank god they gave us that ending um, Even if it spells doom and destruction down the line, it was a moment of happy ending. Yeah. Uh, okay, a few things. First of all, uh, Lauren Weedman as yeah. Doris uh, getting the her first real showcase for an episode. Uh, it, it seems like it's been ages, but really the show's only aired like 16 episodes, so it's not that uh, huge a time. Well, and she if, was barely in last season, too. That's true. Um, people who write for television... If you have a secondary character who you want to give, who, you know, is kind of limited and you want to, like, expand their world and flesh them out more, watch Looking. See how they do it. 
or uh, Broad City actually had a really great example this week too. Both great examples of how you can take someone who's kind of maybe threatens to be a, even a stock character um, and sort of just bring them. We, we literally go into her world. We, we travel out to Modesto and we see her and, and Dom's uh, childhood. We also get a fleshing out of their relationship that we haven't had before at all. And um, as much as I was expecting waterworks from all the stuff with Doris's father passing by far the most affecting scene was I, I thought at least was when Doris offers her inheritance to Dom for his for his restaurant ah mm-hmm. that definitely lovely. got to me and uh, and also like the when we're talking about comic relief like the episode never felt too heavy to me it felt m- much it felt very like Alexander Payne like in its balancing of of tones especially just bringing the, the, I like that they bring the main character of the show along as, as background comic relief, essentially. <laughs> well, yeah, and he's so self-involved. He has to be like, is it okay that I'm here? It's kind of weird that I'm here, right? And just obsessing about the fact that he's here. Uh, but rather than, you know, his friend uh, or friend of a friend whose father has just died. I, I like that they don't focus on the the process of, you know, setting up the funeral. All of that, they just... Let us kind of we we watch Doris try to do what she needs to do, but also not really engage and kind of get through it. And the way that you know we get, like you said, we get those glimpses into her and Dom's childhood. I thought those were all lovely, just beautiful, and uh, and that relationship has been such a, a fun um, and strong kind of side corner of the various relationships on the show. It's nice to really get to explore the season, especially here. But then uh, you're talking about kind of tissue moments with, uh, or choke up moments. Absolutely. When she offers the inheritance, but also when Malik shows up and mm-hmm. you see why she didn't invite him along. Cause she knew she couldn't keep it together. And for her to have somebody like that in her life at this point, which you can tell if she's ever had someone like that, it's been quite a long time. Where she can keep it together with Dom, she can keep it together with her family, but she she can't keep it together with Malik. Um, I thought that was really lovely. The uh, the characterization and writing for Doris, and this goes to the performance as well, is just spectacular. The way that you know we've had fifteen or sixteen episodes to get used to her uh, very dry, sardonic, sarcastic sense of humor, and it's only really in this episode that we get to understand how she developed it and where, where it comes from and why it's so pervasive. And, uh, and also it's limits like in the, in the scene when she finally sees uh, the body of her father and Dom makes that crack about how he looks like a drag queen. And she bursts into like simultaneous laughter and tears that she can't never quite happen at exactly the same time. They kind of like quickly alternate by microsecond and it's just an, an amazing moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and again, this, the, these, moments of um you know these emotional moments are also punctuated with moments of joy so them dancing to walking on sunshine is lovely you know i keep saying lovely i guess that's my my go-to word for this episode but it's just you know it's so well handled all of it and it's absolutely you know, supremely affecting and yeah another excellent episode from looking yeah it's um and oh, sorry i have to mention one more moment uh patrick at the bar thinking that he's seeing a reflection of his younger self and he's totally not seeing that. No, not at all. It's it's mostly a sort of a funny episode for Patrick, but that is a crushing moment. Well, what did you think of the ending then? Um, 
like you said, future bearer of crushing moments. Like it's it's a great release for the episode, especially with the spiritualized song over the credits. But uh, yeah, future doom, future doom. Okay, do you not believe him? Do you think this is a Desi situation, or do you think uh, that he's just gonna go? Do you think he's gonna go back to John if he did break up with him? Do you think uh, he'll cheat on? Uh, Patrick with somebody else. What do you think? What which what doom are you most foreseeing? One of those things will definitely happen, or he'll die. I don't know. Like just something bad will happen. Well, maybe if the show, I hope it gets renewed. But if it gets canceled, maybe it'll, it'll have a happy ending because there won't be enough episodes for them. But that to have will that be happen. a bad ending because looking will, will be over. Yes, but silver lining. Silver lining, I hope we I don't have to I hope it doesn't happen. Now I'm upset at you just for saying it. Yeah. Well, now I'm upset because I have to pick a best episode of the week. And if, you know, Parks and Rec hadn't had that beautiful finale, this would be a slam dunk for looking. And I don't know what to do. Uh well to me it's not really a choice. Um like Parks and Rec is maybe third. <laughs> oh, that's harsh. Well what are you giving it to? Uh, well, I'm clearly giving it to looking. Uh, Broad City was also great. Parks and Rec was solid. I'm I, sorry. I'm not going to give it more than that. Okay. Um, I'm going to trust that there is more of this to come for looking and go with my head and go with Parks and Rec. But right now my heart says looking. And it could be that I watched it more recently. But I, I loved that Parks and Rec finale too. So I'm going with head over heart right now. The Jane the Virgin Award goes to Looking. The Jane the Virgin Award. And Parks and Rec. Goes to Parks and Rec, yeah. Okay, now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in reality and genre. this week we just have uh, the one episode we're going to talk about the amazing race season 26 premiere great way to start a relationship and uh as they also had the second episode this week i got the smartest dude uh, then we'll move on to genre where i'll talk a little bit about the agent carter finale valediction uh, as well as banshee all the wisdom i got left before we get to the hundred uh bodyguard of lies so first up a little uh, amazing race talk here i was leery to say the least with this setup uh, for the season, this uh, all-couples season of The Amazing Race. I watched the first two. You've seen most of the first episode of the season. And I know how I feel about the, the dating premise. Uh, how does it work? How did it work for you? Grading, I think, is the main word that came to mind. It's an incredibly grading idea in several different ways. First of all, because, I don't know, pe- people who are who are dating are generally going to be annoying anyway when you have to force them into a situation where they're going to talk about it a bunch but then to do that on the amazing race is not my idea of entertainment 
Well, and I tweeted out something about this. For me, this the the second episode was better than the first episode for me. But the first episode was was all of the artifice of people on camera who know they're being watched and who aren't used to it. You know, who don't know how to be natural on camera. Plus, all the awkwardness of a blind date, and that's not something I want to watch. I would say plus. Uh, the kind of contestants you're going to get when you hold a casting process that ha- that says, hey, by the way, we're going to pair you up on a blind date on The Amazing Race. Like, yeah. What sort of contestants do you think you're going to get, by and large? Well, And that's the thing. For me, the teams that I am enjoying on uh, of that subset are the ones who are completely uninterested in dating, which is makes yeah. it all the creepier when Phil keeps going like, so... And he sparks. It's like, dude, you're a creepy old dude asking the hot young people if they fucked yet. <laughs> what is this sex box? This is not a good look for you. Uh, please pardon my language, everyone out there. Uh, but yeah, it's super creepy, and they've known each other for a couple days, and and it's just it's so incredibly forced. Don't draw attention to it at every opportunity. Just keep putting them in romantic situations and see what happens. Just be a creepy voyeur like the rest of us. Anyway, the dance challenge looked surprisingly difficult. The dance challenge did not look that hard to me. But then again, I'm a musician, so I can't not count to eight all the time. The the counting part was fine. Uh, The foot stuff was fine. The arm stuff looked a, a, a little bit more involved. The, the combination of all those things at once on pressure, I can see how it would be difficult. Well, I mean, I can see, as certainly, I can absolutely see how it can be difficult. Uh, it was a little uh, disappointing how easy the sake thing was c- comparatively. Because uh, they, you'll, and, and the way the clue was phrased, it seemed like you were going to have to be able to remember all 10, not just here's 10 of them and they're going to ask you for one and can you remember which one it was which is completely different but um yeah the dance thing uh i'm sure was very challenging for a lot of people just as someone who is a musician who can't not be very rhythmical you know and how i hear music and how i when i watch routines like that um it was yeah that one didn't seem like it'd be hard for me, but I, I really appreciate how the one team that was the setup, the one is a showgirl, and the and the guy's like, yeah, you don't want to try to get me to dance, and so they didn't, because that's what you do mm-hmm. on the race. There was some nice stuff there, but uh, yeah, on the whole, I'm just hoping that the the that Phil will stop being so creepy. In the second episode, one of the envelopes, one of the like the racing, you know clues had a date night package that they could randomly get yeah yeah you're holding your face in your hands because you should because it's terrible and it's creepy it was like a spa package for like showing like a a hot tub and clothing optional guys oh my Mm. god it's like dude how desperate are you the amazing race it's desperate is not a good look on you just you know just get canceled with dignity Anyways, uh, anyways, let's uh, move on to our weekend genre, and uh, I mean our weekend reality. We both give it to the Amazing Race, I guess. Uh, but for our weekend genre, I'm going to kick things off with Agent Carter. As a setup at the top of the show, I talked a lot about this with uh, the the lovely fellows over at TV Times Three, uh, Jason and Jason. So you can go check that out over at tvtimes3.com. I want to say. Just Google TV Times Three; it'll come up. And uh, but but I did you know want to share a few thoughts here. Finale 
as much as I appreciate the symmetry that they focused on here with Captain America, the first film, and Peggy's role at the end of that, over the radio, tying that in with her moment here, it's just kind of frustrating. And Whitney uh, McIntosh, one of our writers, talked about this in her review. It's frustrating to have the lead protagonist of your show, the person whose name is the show, be an a-, a passive participant in the climax. And really in much of this episode, they bring Dominic Cooper back as Stark and it's supposed to be like they have this super intense, powerful relationship, except that I don't remember that from the film. I don't really remember that from earlier in the season. I think... I think ABC and Marvel think Dominic Cooper is a much bigger deal than he is. Is he a big deal? And I just don't know it. (laughs) Not really, no. Yeah, so when he comes back, obviously the character of Stark has some import, but I'm way more invested in every, like, literally anyone else on the show than I am in him. Uh, There are a few moments that work with that character, but I... Oh, you know, it's the fight scene is good. I like what we get with Dottie and it's really fun to see Bridget Regan. Um, you know, she, obviously Jane the Virgin was off this week, so I got my Bridget Regan dose from Agent Carter. And on the whole, I'm glad I watched the show, but it really there's so much missed potential here. I really hope it gets a second season and they can figure out what works and what doesn't. And then actually, you know, give characters like uh, you get, give actors like uh, Amber Gyokai or Gyokaj, uh something to do. Uh, except to just kind of randomly uh, be in love with Agent Carter. You know, like, there's so much more that this could have been that uh, I, I I do hope it gets a chance to be more. That, that's sort of my last thought on Agent Carter. But I did watch the whole thing. I'm glad I watched it. It would be wonderful to have more female-led action shows, certainly, because there's, like, are there any other ones, Simon? Right now? Yeah. Uh, I mean... Is Jessica Jones going to be an action series? Yeah. So there was there will be there that. There will be that. There will be one at some point this year. Uh yeah, it's it's an underserved market like we may talk about once we get to our DVD shelf this week. Um and it's a shame they didn't do a better job here. Banshee, uh, all the wisdom I got left was another strong episode from them. I really like the, what we get with Job here and with Sugar. That's it's a nice uh a nice continuing uh examination of their relationship and i was not surprised by the turn here but i thought it was well done and i was very so very happy to see a certain someone get his face blown off uh not just out of wanting that character to die but also just because he's been dragging down a lot of the season at least for me he hasn't worked anywhere near as well as a lot of other banshee fans feel he has so um I'm hoping that with that out of the way, um, I will be back on the same page as all the other Banshee fans with the next string of episodes through to the finale. Um, Let's move on, though, and let's talk about the show we've actually both seen, which is The 100, Bodyguard of Lies. And we got to start right with Clark is by. How cool is that? Uh, Yeah, this is just the year where everything's going a little bit gay, and it's great. Um, uh, I will say, though, that the way that they executed that I think had some problems. The uh, just the I, I I read in 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 some reviews whatever that they'd been hinting at this for several episodes. Unless it was buried in subtext, I really didn't catch it. Maybe I need to go back and like look at the blocking. But the way that 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 this episode was directed, it was way more overt until it was actually made actually overt. 
Um, was that just me? Like, do I should I feel stupid for not having caught it before, or does it, or did they just sort of force the issue this episode? Well, f- um, let's just say I was. Well, first of all, I should say that before I had a chance to watch this episode, I had seen the showrunner or one of the lead writers tweet something out about Clark being by. So I was like, ah, oh, okay. First of all, that's awesome. This is something that's happening on the CW right now. Um, but I mean, I think it makes sense with the show and with what they've done for me. It is not super, um, it was not super blatant, but I think that's also because in so many of these shows, there's so much Hoye going on that if you want to ship that ship, it's, it's there. The subtext is there, but it doesn't mean that the show is acknowledging it. Like, you know, all of Angel and Spike or, right. you know, the, and that's something that did become canon on the show. It was a fun little thing. But there's a lot of times on these shows, these genre shows, especially depending on your time, like when it came out, when it's airing and also what network it's on, this stuff will stay subtext. So I don't necessarily acknowledge it. I don't, don't like pay attention to it because I don't think that the show is going to. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I just think that it like it didn't feel within the show foreshadowed to me in the way that other relationships have mm-hmm. uh, and the way that it was blocked in this episode and the way it was scored also made it feel like, by the way, guys, this is a big deal, <laughs> um, which I maybe could have done with a little bit less of. But anyway, uh, other than I mean, I'm nitpicking. It's cool. Uh, I don't know why we're surprised it's happening on the CW. I mean, see also Jane the Virgin. Um, but yes, it is cool. Uh, can we talk very briefly, though, about the stuff that's less cool, which is everything in the desert ever? <laughs> well, I thought it was pretty cool when they started blowing up, but then they didn't blow up <laughs> They stopped blowing up, yes. Yeah. Uh, the actual like the actual visual of them going through the desert with a stick was cool in the, in the sense of, like, look at you idiots. Well, and also, I, I mean, I can't be the only one who thought of combing the desert from Spaceballs. I mean, uh, maybe I wasn't supposed to be thinking so comedically as I was watching it, but you know, listeners know how I, how I feel about this storyline. Uh, but I, as I understand it, you had a particular annoyance with how that scene like resolved. Well, I just, I mean, I, I can't stand one of the reasons that I'm like really weighing whether or not I should still be watching the show is that the show really seems to care about Jaha and the show really seems to think that we should care. And more importantly, Jaha seems to really think that everyone should care what he thinks. Um, and it's just like this whole idea of like, I survived all this. I'm not going to like, dude, Everyone survived everything. Yeah. Why are you special? Your yeah. fate is like, uh, I mean, I, I, I can't stand fatalistic people in general, but when they have to crow on about it and like drag other people to their gory, horrible deaths in the desert sun and then are still self-righteous about it all the time, that that guy deserves to get motherfucking blowed up good. Well, and someone who's like, these people who came all this way with him get blowed up and he's like, sacrifice had to be made. It's a test. It's a test. I'm like, dude. Right, he sounds like those people who think like, like the devil, the, like, like the devil put fossils in the ground to test us. Like it's that's like, that's the sort of person that Jaha would be if he were around right now. Just an asshole. Uh, it's also like, that. Yeah, it was, your friends just died around you, and you don't care because you're so important. You're such a big deal that the universe can't let you die. It's like yeah. the, read, you know, read some Jack London. The universe doesn't give a shit. Uh, is sort of where I'm at with it. (laughs) Yeah, and unfortunately the show is backing him up, which is what makes it even more annoying. Like, the show has had, like, 17,000 opportunities to kill you, and it has taken none of them because they seem to think that Isaiah Washington is bankable or something. Yeah, well, and at the end, for me, when he's planning to row a boat 
by hand. Like, he's going to row after being, you know, like, going through the desert. They're, they're like, you know, blistered all to hell by the sun. They are clearly very dehydrated. Uh, he's going to have the energy to row a boat faster <laughs> than a drone can fly. Are you shitting yeah. me? <laughs> Jaha is like the worst Amazing Race contender ever. 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 He's the one that you just like, everybody agrees to U-turn because they're just yeah. such an asshole. Yeah. And yet he never gets eliminated. Yep. Yep. That is that is Jaha's Amazing Who's his Amazing I guess Murphy's his Amazing Race partner. We can hate <sighs> them both. Yeah. Yeah. They're... They're newlyweds, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Well, that wraps up our week in genre. And I know what, I guess, wins your week in genre. I'm going to give it to Banshee because, again, it was another fun episode. Um, And now we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama. drama i'm gonna talk a little bit about the battle creek pilot battle creek way then we'll talk better call saul hero the slap a nook justified a live day fortitude episode six the americans Salong pass and the good wife dark money oh god we are still going here over at the televerse it's a long show we thank you for still listening if you are um let's kick things off here with battle creek and uh i'm just gonna keep this very brief because we're, we're running long but i did check out the pilot and basically I agree with what everybody else is saying. Uh, we didn't get all 13 episodes sent to us, and the people, the critics who did, seem to say it's not that strong a pilot, but by the end of the season, I'm glad I watched it. I've only seen the first episode. It's not that strong a pilot. I like the cast. Um, it's a very familiar setup. It could grow into something, but right now, for me, based on just this pilot, there's a lot more a lot that on TV right now that's a lot more interesting. So I would say skip it. You know, but people who have seen more, who whose opinions we respect, uh, say that by the end of the season they were glad they watched. So I don't know what to tell y'all other than helpful. It's super not super super not helpful. But it, it, if anything, if nothing else, it's it's better than I expected. A shelved pilot that was only brought out and actually shot because the writer made Breaking Bad. You know later i mean this is a 10 year old pilot that they didn't want to do anything with until they realized they could sell it as from the creator of breaking bad so that should have been terrible so i'm glad that it's not and uh um yeah we'll see if over the summer i am inspired to catch up with more of the season but right now that's where i'm at so are you gonna check out any battle creek simon um like you said i'm gonna have to wait and see and listen but it's going to need to get really good. Also, I've been too distracted by the idea of somebody cloning Vince Gilligan to get him to run the X-Files reboot to think about him having written this whole thing that they've just re- restarted. 
Oh my god, that would be amazing. Why'd you have to put that in my brain? Sorry, I read it, now I can't unread it. Yeah. Okay, well, we're sharing that with you listeners. Let's move on, though, to our next drama, because there's no time for chit-chat here. Better Call Saul Hero. What did you think of, of this episode? Uh, I think, as much as I've enjoyed the previous episode, I think this was a step up from that. And if, if nothing else, it really solidified that Better Call Saul has been the greatest surprise of these early months of the year. Which, uh, we don't, you know, you, you and I do a lot of prognostication. Uh, there's, we, not a lot gets past us, so surprises are, are still exciting. Uh, I don't know if you'll agree, but, um, the, first of all, the cold open with, with the, the David Mamet-esque con was fantastic. I loved everything about that. Uh, I hope we get more with that pairing. Um, and also, by the way, uh, I know it wasn't my idea, but I totally called it on the Saul Goodman oh thing. Oh my god. Last effing week. And it was like one of the first things that came out of his mouth. Well, and I love that by the time that went up, it had already aired. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. people listening to the podcast probably, you know, had already watched the episode. Uh, no, I that was, oh God, I just hated that so much. I mean, they delivered it well and everything. Don't get me wrong, but it's just, there's got, oh God, that, that just means that that's a thing that he says and that's absolutely going to be why he goes with Saul Goodman and I, I can't unhear it I, I kind of like it now that I've heard it to be honest it kind of works for me and not just because I heard it predicted in advance um, I'll, I'll be curious to see how they formally fold that in if the show even gets to the point where we formally fold that in because I don't know if it will because we don't know that although personally I don't think the show can have an ending unless it happens after Breaking Bad yeah um, it will so yeah, it, uh, it would. Well, you're, you're saying that like yeah, like you know. I'm saying it like I know because otherwise we would not have had that opening, the black and white right. opening. Uh, we're gonna come back to that black and white at some point. I feel confident. Yes, it would be almost cruel if we didn't. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I liked everything that we got with. Uh, is it Kim? Mm hmm. I really liked Kim. Uh, with uh, Kim. I think she, she's proving to be an interesting character. I, I love that, that she actually smirks after she sees him pull off this very obviously stunt, uh, you know, planned stunt. Uh, she she lets herself enjoy that, even though she knows it's it's awful and wrong, because it is funny. Um, and uh, But I think we also need to talk about the, the, the closing sequence with Michael McKeon, because that was, uh, first of all, just a, a great return to the sort of virtuosic... Uh, directorial sequences we got in Breaking Bad and also just a really fascinating character moment. Yeah, and I really like that we went to his perspective for it and um, yeah, it was like terrifying you know, being in his head for that and it's so sad, incredibly sad that that is, that is his experience that is what he experiences whenever he leaves his house um, that, yeah yeah uh, so uh, again, really well directed and shot, um, good performance. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we have an answer to that. I'm glad that we get his perspective on that because otherwise it was hard to, with those scenes with the uh, Michael McKean character, it's been hard to know how, like what, how, how significant this is and how, how we should be reading those scenes. And so to get this from his perspective really informs those other scenes for me and, uh, yeah, makes that character, like, especially the flashbacks we see to earlier, all the more tragic. Well, and I think that it's also a, um, it's an important point of difference 
from Breaking Bad. I mean, so there are many things that are different about the show, but I think an, an important one is that um, uh, Jimmy slash Saul uh, really, he desperately cares about how his brother feels about what he's doing. It's probably the only person whose opinion uh, he really lends serious credence to at the end of the day. And there was no one like that on Breaking Bad. Like, ultimately, Walt was going to do what he had to do, and he didn't care what anybody thought. Because uh, it was, you know, hubris and all that. But mm-hmm. Saul, that's not happening here. And I'll be curious to see if they uh, if they sort of cross that Rubicon at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like... Um, I feel like he can't become Saul until his brother dies. But I don't know if that's the case. Of course, I'm just guessing. But there's... That relationship is so significant and there is such a strong bond there. The actors have done such a good job establishing that so quickly, you know, in the in the pilot already it was there. But, you know, moving forward as well. uh, Yeah, it's been really I think the the single best element of the of the whole show is that relationship. So I look forward to seeing how they explore it. Yeah, I I mean, it's it's such a cliche now, like, oh, comic actors doing serious acting. Isn't it so refreshing? I remember that old Joan Rivers quote about why is everyone so surprised when when comics can do can can do serious acting? Being funny is way harder than being serious. Mm -hmm. Um, And there I think there's something to that. But uh, you're, you're right. Their scenes together, I think, are very clearly the heart of the show. Yeah. Well, let's let's move on to our our next show. And that's the slap a nook. I was just not going to talk about the slap but you know you you kind of t- called me to task on that because we're the only people who liked the first two episodes um so rightly so we're checking in on the third episode what did you think are, are were we crazy were they right or is somewhere in between um i think now somewhere in between i there was actually some things i really liked about this episode but on the whole i didn't think it was as compelling as the first two um what i find fascinating though is the fact that a show called the slap is probably the least over-dramatized drama on network TV right now. Like, so little actually happens in this episode. And I mean that in a good way and a bad way. Uh, good in the sense of, like, a character finds out that she's pregnant. And also that her mother's dying. Which, I, those are both big things, but the way the show handles it, it's it's not particularly heightened in any particular way. Um, it, it's all, it all sort of unravels and, it, and none of it is a surprise. Uh, and the fact that like the, the, the way in which it, it sort of revealed the things is really cliched and that did bug me, but I feel like other shows would, would, would just make so much bigger a deal out of it narratively than this show does. And it would be so much more heightened in terms of performance and writing. And I like that it, it, it does these things in a relatively low key fashion. I don't like the fact that this is like a, what, six to eight episode mm-hmm. season eight, or something. Yes. Eight episodes and uh, not, zero happens with the master plot, which seems uh, very strange, but maybe it's just because they have Uma Thurman. I don't know. Um, also, the Melissa George we got in this episode did not seem to match the Melissa George we got in the other episodes. Uh, so, I, And I've got some other complaints, but uh, I don't know. I, I still find it a really interesting show, even if I don't think it's always working. Yeah, I liked this episode, I think, more than you did. I really liked uh, the performance from Uma Thurman and uh, Blythe Danner. Those two together were really nice, and uh, I want to say it's Penn Badgley, right? Is yeah. Playing? Who were event- – we do have a Gossip Girl DVD shelf coming up at some point in the not-distant future, so we'll be talking more about him soon. But, um, no, I-, I liked that stuff. There there were some problem moments for me, like there were for you, but on the whole, uh, I was totally fine 
getting a week away from the main plot and uh, getting a week away from Harry and also uh, Melissa George's character, and you know, for the most part. Uh, I thought she did match, at least in the first part, when when it's just the two of them one-on-one later, less so there, but at, at lunch, that did fit to me with what we had seen earlier. I don't know. Did you see a difference in those two scenes or not really? Um, between the lunch and the visit? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. Um, but I guess we'll have to wait and see till she gets an episode, which I assume will be next week or soon. Um, but, uh, I, th- I think actually the main writing thing that bugged me this week was the scenes of, I like Blythe Danner, but the scenes of, of Blythe Danner and the family at dinner and their like high class talk was all just like, so not natural. I, I didn't think it all just felt very, this is someone's idea of how rich people talk to each other about, about stuff that's happening. <laughs> I don't know. Was that just me? Um, uh, I, you know, it didn't bother me as much. But I think there's just such a level of artifice to the characters. Like, they are artificial characters. Um, they're, they're very constructed. They've constructed a persona for themselves. That I think that really tempered it quite a bit. Next, so next week we're getting the babysitter. And then the week after that, we're getting Rosie, uh, who is the Melissa George character. Okay. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm still enjoying the show. Um I've, I understand that no one else is watching it or cares or and thinks that the, that the name is silly, which it is. Um, but, you know, we're, th- we're three weeks in and we haven't come up with a better name yet. So I guess it's on us, too. Well, I haven't been putting the thought towards it because instead of thinking about better names for the slap, I'm rolling my eyes and being disappointed and justified because uh, as much as I love Choo Choo and as much as I had fun with a live day, how is justified screwing up Ava this much? <laughs> it's always screwed up Ava. I mean, not always. Maybe not in the first season. Yeah, I, but... Have they ever treated her like a piece of meat in the way that both the characters and the show treats her this week? Um, Has it never? I don't know if it is never. I think it... I think the the camera has, has gazed longingly at, at Joelle Carter for sure. Um... I think it's also I think it's just I think it's especially glaring this season because last season she was in prison duds and no makeup for the for all year, uh, which was actually kind of refreshing. And well, for me it's not her appearance, it's the way that she's treated by the other characters and also that, has yes. nothing to say about it. So when Boyd is practically peeing on her leg in front of Raylan, uh, I was like, This is the woman that you proclaim to love and uh who we've been given no reason that, or no no inkling that you don't completely trust her, and yet Raylan shows up, which is not that uncommon a thing in Boyd's life, and all of a sudden you're acting like a hormonal teenager. It's not that common a thing in Boyd's life. I mean, they've had, what, two conversations this season? Yeah, but on the scale of things, come on. Uh, I don't know, man. A, that was only a couple years ago. B... I'd be threatened if Raylan showed up in my house. But see, I'm uh, partly being devil's advocate here. I, yeah, you're I, being, there's not. Ah, I totally disagree. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, you're you're not wrong. I mean, they they completely botched those scenes in various ways. Uh, and that, sh- in particular, that shot of of boy putting his hand in there, like I was like, oh god, this had better be the end of that. And for the most part, it is. I mean, most of this episode is not centered on that, uh, on that stuff. You're shaking your head at me. 
Uh, I do think it, it is getting hard to care about uh, what Ava is doing this season, which we which we really want to do because she has been so reckless. Um, not that she's never been reckless before, but this is definitely like a new level of recklessness. That being said, I I hope that the uh, that Boyd getting up to speed at the end of this episode, which I mean, if that was how it had to happen, fine. Uh, I'm hoping that will help fix things. Um, something else is happening next week, which I'll be curious to see how that fixes things. But um, yeah, I but I do want to emphasize that the, that a lot of this episode I thought was really great. Um, everything that had nothing to do with Ava I thought was fantastic. I loved the scene of Dillahunt and Elliot sitting down and trading war stories. Uh, that was great, and the the whole angle of uh, of the military. I feel like it should feel like a retread because of Colt mm-hmm. in season four, but this feels different to me. Well, and because we get Choo Choo, uh, Choo Choo's death this week, so it is not a season long arc. It's just a mini arc uh, that certainly helps, as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, I, that gonna miss that character. Uh, but I thought I thought he worked very well, and. Um, you're talking about, you know, Sam Elliott. How about the least reassuring hug in the history of hugs? <laughs> That's such a familiar shot. The, the the let's get a hug, reverse shot of one face and the other face. But rarely are both faces just so anguished and just like not comfortable with the situation at all. Dead eyes. Ugh. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was great. And I I just love the whole idea of... They both think it's the other one, and they both deny it, and we don't really have a reason to to think it's either one of them. Like, it could have been just... I, I, I would love the idea that it was just old-fashioned police work. <laughs> that <laughs> would be fun. Nice. No, we just had a detective who was just really on the ball. He figured it out. Yeah. Yep. That would be good. Uh, <laughs> if Wynn was old enough, it was Wynn, and he's just screwing with yes. them all. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of there's a lot to like here, absolutely. And um, I just hope they, yeah. I I think I just need to actually. I don't hope anything. I think I just need to acknowledge and resign myself to the fact that the show has a very different view of Ava than I do. And uh, her relationship with Raylan specifically, but also apparently Boyd, because she still thinks Boyd's going to kill her, uh, then I think that they do. I, I will say one thing. Uh, last week, I think it was, um, we had Ava's line about there's a place in hell for a man who breaks a promise to a woman. Great line, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the name of the series finale is The Promise, which... Okay. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. Okay. Uh, well, let's move on to our next episode. Speaking of, I don't know what to do with that. Uh, Fortitude, episode six. I don't know what to do with uh, glacial ice from the mammoth seeping into the water. <laughs> the water supply. In the most ominous way ever. Uh, I think that um, at this point, if it's not something supernatural, they're going to need to pull... Some serious Scooby-Doo shit it's to make gotta this work. Be, it's gotta be supernatural. It does. Like, the only way it could possibly not be supernatural is if there are, like, because they have talked enough about there being uh, bacteria and diseases locked away in the permafrost. It could be that. But it would have to be something that would make a kid get homicidal randomly and, like, ignore coal. I don't know. Like, it's, it would, it, it, 
yeah there, i don't there's, know I... there are weird bugs out there dude have you never heard of the the was it the isn't there like a fly or something some bacteria that like rides a cockroach back to its lair and feeds it to its children like it takes over their what brain. yeah it like mind controls you know like the 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 cockroach and rides it home and then it get the cockroach gets eaten alive by the babies sounds sounds like thanksgiving dinner with the family <laughs> um, yeah so so there there's creepy shit out there <laughs> even that like at this point like seriously like right before the kid shows up uh you can hear about six seconds fade in the distance and i gave myself nerd points for 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 hearing it uh marky moon by television aka one of the best songs of all time uh moon in case they weren't hinting at the lupine aspect enough right before he gets killed off in a very pre-werewolf transformation-y kind of way well and there's more there clearly so there was another person or werewolf or something but uh yeah that well and the sheriff is there if not at the time then like immediately afterwards the sheriff got there pretty quick. Uh, that is true. It was interesting to watch the news of, oh yeah, that ten-year-old kid killed that dude. Sort of like ripple out, and the way it's like people it, with the when when uh, when the cop who's into Jessica Reigns goes to tell her about it, he's like, yeah, we found the killer. Uh, kind of buries the lead, like yeah, it was a ten-year-old kid. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, like like it was just like it's just weird mm-hmm. as opposed to like impossible. Yeah, yeah. We got to talk about just briefly that last conversation with. Uh, with the Tooch, Stanley Tucci, and the the main cop, because uh, that that was I thought really well done, and I like that we get this heartfelt confession that mostly matches what we saw. Like it's we saw the same thing, but my, it was Michael Gambon who shot him. But otherwise, that's what we saw. Um, mm. And it's a slight difference. To, well, but you know, it's not like he's saying, uh, describing a, a different scenario than what right. we saw. Uh, and then uh, Tucci's like, uh, no, no, don't no, buy it. Don't buy uh, it. The uh, I feel like we also need to mention that um, Ben Frost has been doing the score. He's this uh, really great sort of quasi avant-garde composer. Uh, did a really great composition slash record called By the Throat that everyone should listen to. On that record, by the way, there's a track that features wolf howls, which I'm hoping that we're going to hear at some point over the course of the season. But his work on this episode in particular was really great. Well, let's move on uh, to uh, and co-sign everything there. It was really, like, the ending was very tense for me, very dramatic and very tense uh, with Elena there. Um, let's move on, though, to another show that knows how to use music, and that's The Americans, Sailing Pass. Uh in in lieu of doing the Americans podcast that we'd love to do, uh, let's get this out of the way. This season is killing it, uh, at least as much as last season was. But I like that it's doing it in a in an even more low key way than ever before. Um, it feels like the show's just found a new register of we're gonna have virtually nothing happen or very small things happen and just blow them up to epic emotional proportion. Perfect example is the sort of, I guess, if you want to call it a date night. Oh, God. With the, with the 15-year-old. Oh, God, yeah. Yep. <laughs> You're shuddering, and that is the appropriate response. Um, oh, yeah. And just the, him having, a, him having a, a conversation with, uh, Philip having a conversation with Elizabeth about, well, should I sleep with her? Uh, that's a loaded question, isn't it? Yep. Uh, <laughs> I, I do like how that scene, I really like how that scene plays out, and that she can't 
keep herself from kind of bitchily responding with your girl. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I like when we see the the effects like they know that this is the job and they're very committed obviously to to their country but i like when it can't help but affect them which is not something we usually see with the various conquests shall we say uh or or assets i guess but um yeah this is this is different and uh, the the show knows it, and the characters know it. And you know, I think I think Philip does a great job of threading the needle and being like, "Okay, so we got the we got some some weed, and we got some munchies. Let's just get her to pass out." And... Yes, that was great. <laughs> well, and and this whole like this whole notion of uh, Gabriel giving giving him this like Afghani super weed, yeah. uh, which is you know extra some extra irony for you, mm-hmm. and hit. Him just figuring, okay, she's going to just a few tokens of this and she'll pretty much be out. But then still having that tension of when he goes into the office, yeah. is she somehow going to follow me up here and yeah. you know, want some action or something? Uh, um, just ah, such a great set piece and moment. Uh, and also him, him having to run out when the dad got home. Mm-hmm. I can barely parse the the layers and levels of, of dramatic irony going on on the americans right now because it's it's doing like seven more different kinds of it than anything on tv right now well and uh in the same episode he's buying a beautiful white dress for his daughter it was a lovely dress i must say i was talking a little bit on twitter uh with someone i forget who about uh the fact that tv shows have with you know multiple kids have tended to focus on the eldest daughter or the elder daughter um and i think that in the case of of most shows and the the americans is one of them that's sort of a byproduct of well they went with whoever is the better actor um that's also the impression that i get from reading uh, an interview with joe weisberg who who basically all but admitted uh yeah we went with the person who could act better on the camera (laughs) (laughs) and having him sort of awkwardly talk around that was really funny but um the fact that they've gone with that, I think, was uh, very fortuitous for them because it's 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 paying dividends that I can't imagine uh, they could have gone with had they tried to, to sort of buck the trend as they intended to uh, and follow around the sun. Oh, that's interesting. I'll have to read that. So, yes, I have no complaints about the Americans right now. The Americans None. is still fantastic. Uh, now, we every week we say the Americans is fantastic. We used to every week say the Good Wife is fantastic until they had that rather unfortunate <laughs> previous uh, uh mid-season finale kind of episode yeah, they did not go well into hiatus how did they come out of hiatus simon not particularly well uh, not as bad as what they left with but it felt like they they deliberately came back with the safest episode that they possibly could uh for the most part it felt like it could have happened at any point in the season and it really didn't do anything new with anyone, I didn't think. Uh, and the whole notion of bringing in Ed Asner as a foul-mouthed, like, Archie Bunker-type character, I think probably seemed like a really great idea. But, I don't know, to me, the writing for that character was so over-the-top that I would just kind of felt bad for Ed Asner. Is that weird? I just kept waiting for the other layer of the character to be revealed and for there to be something else there, and there's just not. Nope. And maybe more will happen with him, but if not, that's such a waste of Ed Asner. 
Yeah. Like, I can see, I, I understand, like, oh, hey, remember how he's the voice of Up? And he's, like, this genteel figure now that we all think of grandfatherly? What if we just, like, make him a bastard? Like, okay, that's funny. Then what? Oh, that's that's just all. I don't know. There wasn't really any portion of this episode that I cared about, which made it difficult to write my review, uh, which went up, uh, nevertheless, late Sunday night. Um, are they, are they, are Kalinda and, and Lamont going to bang? Is that going to happen? Oh man, I didn't get any, I mean, I don't always get chemistry in the scenes where she's supposed to have chemistry with someone, but I didn't get any there. And uh, I did think it was interesting that now apparently the list of characters that will share scenes with Kalinda is just Diane. If you notice the angle, like the the shots of like when she's giving her the paperwork in the courtroom, it was clearly the only two people from the main cast there were Archie <laughs> Bunjabi and Christine Baranski because they didn't even did have a shot notice. that had uh you know that had Matt Zickery in it as well. Um, yeah, oh, man, yeah, um, w- drama. But um, uh, I, I, I we we should we should be quick on this. But I just want to say also the way that the case wrapped up seemed particularly ridiculous to me the whole chum hum intervention just didn't make any sense to me at all and as funny slash fun as having dylan baker times two should have been i'm way too sick of colin sweeney and i now will forever associate him with robert durst over on the jinx so i now like him and want to see him even less yeah the the that could have been fun but i think they needed to make him look more different it was they didn't do enough to make him look different as far as I was concerned. It felt too much like, oh, and now we'll have him wear a wacky wig. you and know, put on a silly voice. Silly voice, yeah. It would have been more interesting if they had, like, I don't know, like, changed his face structure somewhat or something. You know what I mean? Like, I think they could have done that better. Um, and uh, as for the rest, I will – I, I do like the progression over the episode as – Alicia gets whittled down a little more and a little more to that scene with her daughter at the end. I thought that was lovely. Um, But having the Ed Asner character be a significant part of that, it's like, I'm sorry, when you're taking money from Lamont Bishop, having money, taking money from a, a homophobe who's just terrible I feel like that's way lower on the list of things. So like the combination of of how other people see her as this person who can't be bought and she's already sold herself and now she's sold herself again um, to, to this Ed Asner character. That, I mean, I bought it and I thought the, the culminating scene really did work. But um, yeah, they're going to have, if they're going to do more with that, they're going to really have to tie it in with, with Bishop, I think rather than having it be this Ed Asner character. Yeah. Uh, last thing I'll say is the good wife is banned from doing TV meta humor for at least three episodes. Okay. Can we just say that now because it's, they're just, they're, they're going overboard as I, I, I did like the scene where fake Alicia has more principles than real Alicia. Uh-huh. But other than that, they really need to, to slow it down. Okay. Well on that note, what wins your week in drama? Oh God! Um, and for me, it's the Americans award goes to the Americans, but yeah, yeah, the Americans award goes to the Americans. But I wanted to give a nod to Better Call Saul because that is really coming together very nicely. Very nice. Uh, to, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll co-sign there. But again, I just, for me right now, the Americans is just killing it, and it was another fantastic episode. 
Um, so a few show notes here. You can find a post up for this episode at soundonsite.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of this week's, again, lengthy week in TV. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can uh, find us in iTunes where we have an MP3 unchaptered feed and an M4A chaptered feed. You can also uh, like us on Facebook to follow the goings on Sound Site TV. And, of course, we're both up on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Simon, you are? At Sucker Howl. And what is our question of the week? Something's got me thinking about this. Um, what is your most vexing um, family TV conflict? Like what? Like, I'm thinking like like opinion wise, like a show, for instance, that your parents think is appointment viewing, and you think is list absolute garbage, and just you can't. You love them and you respect them, and they created you, and you owe everything to them. But they're idiots for liking that show. Well, um, hmm, amongst my family. Yeah, it doesn't have to be parents. Yeah. Just... My family actually has, I gotta say, some, some pretty fantastic taste in, in TV. Usually we overlap quite a bit. Uh, we have in my family what we call old man TV, which is what uh, the kind of shows that my dad really likes that the rest of us are less enamored with. Um, and we've been calling... Uh, my dad old man since he was in his like late 30s early 40s uh so that's not as uh pejorative as it might sound um but anyway so those are like your history channel like he loves vikings and he's very excited that's back but he'll also watch like turn and anything historical if there's world war ii stuff he'll watch that um yeah, lots of History Channel, lots of, like, the Military Channel, lots. I mean, he also uh, instilled in me a, a deep love of Westerns, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of really great stuff that I love watching with my dad. But then if I come down and he's just started, like, the, I don't know, the the, the second episode of, um, what was that miniseries they had recently about the Founding Fathers that was horribly, oh, uh, historically God. inaccurate? Yeah, that one. You know, if I if I come over and was like gonna, we're gonna watch something together, and that's on. I'm a little underwhelmed. It just needs like the sheen of historicity. It doesn't need to be accurate at all. Yeah, yeah. So you know, that I think I'll go with that. All right. Um, my I live with my sister. She watches two broke girls. I think that about covers it. That'll do it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Short story, but a but an impactful one. I hope. Yeah. Well, let us know. Uh, that's that's a great question. Let us know, listeners, what what are the shows that 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 you love that your family doesn't get, or vice versa. And uh, now we'll take a break. We'll come back with Whitney McIntosh of Sound Insight TV to talk about Charmed. Shouldn't have happened, that's all. What shouldn't have happened? Bruce slept with Andy. Hello. Thanks a lot, Mouth. Wait, you were going to tell her but not me? Family meeting. Speaking of last night, what time did you end up rolling in? No, no, no. Do not change the subject. Don't dodge the question. It must have been at least after three. I must still be on New York time. Actually, that would make it later. Or maybe you and Alec. Who's Alec? Some hottie she hit on in the restaurant. Excuse me, revisionist history. He hit on me. Remember the whole vision thing? Vision thing? Please tell me you didn't use your powers. Don't put me in the middle. I'm not. You were born in the middle. Look, I thought that we agreed. No. We didn't. You agreed. You laid down the law. There's a difference. Look, Phoebe, our powers are not toys. We have to be careful. They could get us killed. She's right. We don't want any more warlocks finding us. Look, it was just a lousy premonition, that's all. Nobody died. Besides, you guys can't control your powers any better than I can. 
And FYI, nothing happened last night. At least nothing I'm ashamed of. There's another reason we have to be careful. Andy thinks someone's abducting women in our area. Abducting women? What do you mean? It means that warlocks aren't the only evil that we have to watch out for. And FYI, I'm not ashamed of anything. Back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, we're happy to welcome back Sound on Sight's own, I love getting to say that, Whitney McIntosh, to help us talk about uh, a, a show that I had so much fondness for um, in my younger years, uh, Charmed. Whitney, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, guys. Glad to be back. Um, and this was fun for me because I, I feel like my relationship with Charmed when I was first watching it sort of tracks with my relationship with television where I started out watching it and I was just so excited that there was genre television on because I think it's when you talk about Charmed I think it's important to mention that at least unless it was somewhere that I wasn't seeing there was very little genre television on and especially with female protagonists when Charmed started it was like Xena and Charmed and that like that was it um, so I had such an affinity for the show when it first started and then at the end of season one the writers did a thing that pissed me off and I got very angry. We'll talk about it. Uh, and it was like my burgeoning fangirl side. And then by season four or five, I was just like, screw this. I don't even I don't even know who you are, show. And I, so, so I feel like I went through the fangirl progression in my relationship with Charm in a way that's really fun. So it was fun for me to go back and like revisit the show and, and see what stuff I was a complete idiot about and what stuff I was missing and what stuff I was probably right about. Uh, Whitney, what, does any of that sound familiar? What was your relationship with Charmed? Yeah, so that's probably pretty similar. I remember I watched it with my dad because um, he loved genre stuff. And I loved, like, fantasy and magic books when I was a little kid. Obviously, that was, like, the rise of Harry Potter and everything, but, like, even further in. So it was an interesting, like, transition for me to say, oh, this is a show that's similar to that and I like it. Um, I'm aging myself but or dating myself, but I was seven when it started. So <laughs> I was, like... You know, it was, like, the family-friendly humor and then kind of got me into, like, the fangirl side and understanding, like, being actively angry at a cliffhanger. <laughs> and, like, that was also my first exposure to, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, but someone leaving a show because they wanted to or people wanted them to because their behavior was not good. Like, this was my first experience with being like, oh, that wasn't a character decision probably my first time understanding how television worked and like getting interested in the behind the scenes stuff. Um, 
so yeah, definitely. I, I went through a whole cycle with Charmed of just being frustrated and then them winning me back. And then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All that good stuff. Simon, had you seen any Charmed? Were you aware of this up in Candleland? Was I? Yeah, come on. It's not Russia. Like, we yeah, get but, Charmed. Okay, f- forgive me for thinking that, you know, young teen tween Simon might not have been aware of Charmed. No, I was, I mean, it was, it was a cultural phenom i was aware of its existence i wasn't watching it uh beyond uh you know but then again at the time you know i wasn't watching any of the stuff that i probably would have been enjoying if i had thought to be watching it like you know the whedon stuff etc uh i just wasn't a tv person at the time also uh thank you whitney for making me feel old by aging yourself at the time (laughs) when this premiered in 1998 oh god 90s child Anyways. I know. Ooh, hex. <laughs> I'm making a cross sign with my fingers. You guys anyway. are with people to find that out this week, and it's just every reaction has been terrible. So <laughs> It's all good. It's, it's, it's a hex. safe and happy space here, no matter what Simon is saying. So, Simon, <clears throat> I, I think, and burn. Anyway. was this your first time watching Charmed then? <laughs> uh, probably. If I did before, then I definitely didn't remember. I did remember um, How Soon Is Now this cover version uh, by a splinter group of the psychedelic furs uh, being the theme song uh, because I'm, I'm sure that I heard it and then later figured out, Oh, I've heard this before. It's on that TV show. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. Um, the, the thing is, I, I guess I may as well get into it uh, based on what I've seen uh, for this podcast. I don't think that uh, the show's a really for me uh, be um, particularly good but on the other hand, uh, I think there's lots of interesting stuff to talk about that has nothing to do with the show's quality. Like the fact that the show is still insanely huge. I think it was as of 2012, um, the show was uh, the se- the most streamed or the second most streamed on uh, on Amazon Instant Video. Um, the, the show still has uh, a very devoted fan base of people who want to who go back and and rewatch it. Uh, and I say this no thinking that. It's, you know, despite the fact that it's, you know, got some fairly, I think even the people who love it would, would would agree that it has some fairly obvious shortfalls. And I think that speaks to the fact that there's so few options for people who are interested in female-centric shows, especially female-centric genre shows. Like, yay, Buffy! And then, oh. Xena and Buffy, and now there's Lost Girl. And continuum, you could say, but and orphan black, etc. Yeah. But there's not that many on this on the spectrum of things, and that's why I mean, this is apparently the longest running hour long television series featuring all female leads, like where the main characters are women, um, and that's so depressing to me. Uh, but Whitney, what what is it that made you want to talk about Charms? Uh, what what sticks with you to this day about the show? What what you know what caught the seven year old watching it? <laughs> Yeah, um, well, I wanted to talk about it because kind of like how um, Simon said that it it's still so popular, but kind of in a down low way. Like people understand the references and you'll find Charmed fans everywhere. Like if you reference it on Twitter, people will understand or like in real life. But it it's not like like there's no Charmed con there, that I know. You know, there's no like crazy fandom that is so apparent and people hear about all the time and I think it's kind of interesting because it's just like it's like a comfort food of a sci-fi show it's not trying to say huge political things um 
not to like compare it to Doctor Who or something like that, but in that vein, it's not trying to make humongous like moral um, statements or lessons or anything like that, really. Um, it, it kind of is just the basic, generally family friendly soap opera, nightly soap with some really good characterization that is also fun to watch. And I think that's really rare, especially in sci-fi, when everything feels like it has to be more or be bigger or be um, some huge thing. And this is basically like a cop show with magic and then just like just fun ladies, um, which is, again, just it's it's a rare thing and it's fun to watch still. And it, it holds up surprisingly well. Yeah, I was I was surprised by aside from the fashion and we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, I was surprised how easy it was to slip back into it and there's certainly some dated elements uh, i mean the the score the scoring is just straight out of late 90s synth like it's very of a time for me at least the scoring is um in the, especially in the early seasons and the visual effects you know they were on a certain budget and the, there was a certain amount of technology so when uh one of the episodes i watched we've got phoebe flying through the air in a broomstick uh and it's funny and cheesy and it works that's fun and all, but the, the just the effects of it are not particularly great. But aside from those, just those technical elements, uh, the characters, you know, I do have issues with the show. I don't think it's that great of a show on the whole, but I, the parts of the show that really work for me are not the these large sweeping uh, romances. I'm sure we'll get into like Phoebe and Cole and Piper and Leo. They're not the 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 arcs. They're not all that stuff. They're just the sisters hanging out together because, and this is something that I said when I we were talking about Enlisted not that long ago. I don't feel like there are that many shows that actually are interested in siblings who like each other spending time together. And so when when I was seeing just these, you know, the various sisters, we'll talk about the different eras of the show, just kind of hanging out in the kitchen or just kind of poking poking fun at each other. They they feel lived in and real to me in a way that, uh, you know, certain other elements of the show are maybe not so much. Uh, is that the case for you, Whitney? Yeah, they're, they're sarcastic and they're spunky and they're, you know, annoying in a very real way that doesn't have to be mean spirited or, you know, depressing, or there's not, you know, there's not this huge thing. Obviously they deal with a lot of family losses, um, both before the show starts and throughout, but it's, again, those times in the kitchen or when they're trying to make a spell work and they can't do it. And, uh, you know, they're like making fun of each other or someone has a hideous shirt on, whatever, that it's just very relatable and it doesn't need to be this whole, um, you know, something that struck me just rewatching the pilot, Phoebe comes home. She's kind of clearly the odd duck at that point in the show after their grandmother dies. And they kind of just dispense with that after like one or two episodes. It's like, Phoebe and Prue have a conversation. They don't like each other right now. They drop a whole bunch of exposition in about 45 seconds. And then it's kind of done. And then it just kind of fits together. And that's really nice that it's not this season long arc of one being against two or whatever the case is. And it, it really does fit into that nice mold of people who like each other and people who have fun, even when they're not trying to save the world from warlocks. And that was something that rewatching the pilot really stuck out to me like a sore thumb. Every you know when they had the conflict between uh, Prue and and Phoebe, it just it felt it was terribly written. It was just the most cliched 
thing ever. I like the scenes that had Piper and Prue or Piper and Phoebe. But when as soon as those two were, they were just trying so hard to have there be conflict. So I was glad that, you know, as I was rewatching more that that, like you said, that goes by the wayside pretty quickly. Uh, Simon, what did you think of that element? Did the, those relationships, those uh, sibling relationships feel re- real to you? Um, not being one of three sisters, I couldn't say for sure. But um, I, I do think that the stuff that leans on their interplay is probably the strongest. The stuff that involves um, the supporting male characters is sort of hilariously flimsy. And when I say hilariously flimsy, I mean uh, these are the kinds of roles that tend to be the thankless female roles. And then uh, to, to so to see, you know, for instance, Leo, like that whole arc that happens with him where he's, you know, he's their essentially handler and then, oh, no, he can't ever get involved and then later he does get involved and then when that's over and he's just still around it's the most hilariously thankless part i can remember on a tv show pretty much ever like he shows up they're like leo we need your help he materializes literally just materializes hey what up uh we need some information about this cool disappears again uh and you know rinse and repeat in like several episodes that i saw and we can talk about Julian McMahon's Cole in a bit later, maybe. I just I just find it funny that in this show, it's the men that get the thankless nothing parts. Well, and every now and again, you get a Leo episode, so it'll be a flashback. Like, I remember specifically, I didn't rewatch it for this, but uh, I remember there being, like, a World War II flashback episode, so you see how he becomes a white lighter. And so every now and again, you know, he'll they'll, there will be different significant arcs for him in relation to, to Piper, but... You know, in a in a random episode, if it's not in the middle of one of those arcs, you're absolutely right. He's there to be, you know, to be the support. He's the he's the guy who can talk to the elders. And so, yeah, a lot of times that is the thankless, uh, you know, female sidekick role on other genre shows. Uh, like at the end of I think season four or whatever, when they announced that can does anyone care about spoilers? Um, when they announced that Piper's uh, pregnant. Uh, I was like, oh, you can get pregnant just by listening to exposition? <laughs> hey But I mean, he literally starts as their hot handyman, which is mm-hmm. exactly like a hot babysitter would happen or something. Or like, oh, we got this maid and like we're worried, whatever. And then Piper starts objectifying him with Phoebe. And it's hilarious because you realize that that's every other show would be, you know, some random girl part, waitress, whatever. And before they realize that he's a white lighter and it's just like oh that hot guy that comes over and that's what dan is too in the second season oh that hot guy who's our neighbor and like we'll try to tie in a storyline but no one really cares because he's a hot guy like what it's yeah it's hilarious and it's great it's really nice to watch the flip side of things yeah and it, it's you know and, and like like we were talking about this before we started recording because i'm like oh this must be what uh women feel like when they watch all of the shows and yeah <laughs> that is um do we want to talk about the different eras of the show how did how did the uh the doherty shan doherty to rose mcgowan switch go for you whitney do you remember when you were watching the show was that a traumatic fangirl moment for you um a little bit but again that was the first time where that cliffhanger wasn't really a cliffhanger for me because i knew she was leaving mm-hmm. so i think i actually told my dad that and i was like you know whatever 10 I was like, oh, no, she's not coming back. Because um, I had <laughs> Entertainment Weekly or something. And, Sorry, Dad. Right, but like we had talked about it, and like I'm sure he saw it. But he's like, no, maybe she will. And I'm like, no, 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 like she's off the show because her behavior acted up. And then I like read about it. But 
So I, I don't know if I was completely heartbroken, but I was definitely sad that the character was gone the next season. Um, Cause that is a, it's not a botched transition. They did very well with what they were dealing with, but it's not great. <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely miss Shannon Doherty. Cause she does have that little, like she has the Shannon Doherty spirit that just brings a little bit of an edge to the show. And then trying to replace that with Rose McGowan and her like peasant shirts doesn't super work. Um, but I, I mean, those first three years are really probably the best because everything's fresh and everything's great. And they're, they're dealing with these sisters that they went into the show with and they're dealing with their mom and their dad coming back and all these things. Um, so I definitely miss the, the first three seasons whenever I watch later episodes. But at the same time, I don't think Rose McGowan does a terrible job. Obviously, she was on it for twice the amount of time that Shannon was. So it. Yeah, it's tough to compare, but I'm still such a fan of the first three seasons, especially because that was when they actually pretended they had real jobs. <laughs> like Shannon, you know, Prue is at the auction house and they deal with relationships there. Again, just objectifying the male characters, which is awesome. Um, and then, you know, Piper's a chef. Phoebe is like at school. And then uh, pretty much after Rose McGowan comes, they're like, oh, one of you gets to have a job at a time. Everybody else does nothing, apparently. It, yeah, so... Um, I'm still a Prue fan for the long run, probably. Simon, Did how Shannon about you? Doherty? Sorry. Go ahead. Did Shannon Doherty learn nothing about the power of three? <laughs> Did she learn nothing from nine hundred two one zero? Yeah, that the show will survive without you. Um. Ooh. Anyway, I'm not. Let, I'm not going to get into the. Let's not get into the things that we can't say. possibly. Yeah, no. Know about. No. <laughs> so, Simon, um, how did the transition go for you? Uh, I didn't see much of the of the McGowan era. I, I focused mostly on the uh, on the early stuff. But I mean, I like Rose McGowan. I think she's probably uh, one of the more charismatic choices they could have gone with. Uh, I think she kind of she definitely ups the like the the wackiness quotient a little bit. I think um, at least compared to Doherty. Uh, I don't think I have much more of an opinion on it than that. I will agree that you know considering. How these you know, things go, they did a pretty good job. It's like the center, like the core thesis of the show is that it's about three sisters. And right. So yeah. how do you write off a sister? And they did as good, about a good as good job as you could ask of. You have a secret sister, because <laughs> um, <laughs> that really shouldn't work. And that for me it was actually a bit of a trend. Um, as I was you know look, looking back through episode guides and you know people's you know favorite episodes and all that to to see what I was gonna dive in with for this for the shelf i was reading these plots like like the you know two sentence blurbs about each of the different episodes i'm like oh this is really interesting stuff this is really great stuff so as, as i'm reading about uh piper being filled with rage over prue's death uh and, and like that leads to all this i'm like oh that's really great and then i remember the episodes and i go oh oh that's right because their version of this is let's get our three hot male uh, female leads and dress them in bikinis and have them walk around a jungle and that's how we're gonna do this and so i think for for me that was always the the conflict and that's actually why i stopped watching the show as a high school student after after several years you know i started in middle school and and when i by the time i was in high school i just was too annoyed by all the uh sexualization of the and the objectification not just by the characters of the male characters but the intended uh, objectification of the leads. So what excuse can we have? Let's make Phoebe into a mermaid so we can have her sit around in a bra for the entire episode. 
And, it, you know, there's a, there was so much of that that it was just, it took me out of the show as a younger woman and I couldn't enjoy it. And so when I went back and revisited the earlier seasons, there was less of that than I remembered, which was great. But the later seasons, it was just, it was just not good as far as I'm concerned. Is that just yeah, me? I, um, I specifically remember the, the mermaid episode was the one where I stopped watching. Um, cause it was just getting ridiculous, but it, that's what I loved about, you know, maybe the first four or five seasons was that, these women were sexy, but they weren't like just because they were pretty just because they were it wasn't there wasn't a need to be like, oh, every day is going to be a different bra. It's just, oh, Phoebe likes crop tops. That's her style, which is questionable. But <laughs> it was just that was like their style. Like they were mm. good pants, whatever. And that was just how they were. And the whole Piper storyline after Prue died. I loved that because, again, not the deployment of it, but the idea that now that she's the oldest sister, she doesn't know how to be that. That's really something that I'm sure a lot of people have dealt with, unfortunately, and how they transition from, you know, Phoebe being the middle sister and not being the baby anymore. That's some real stuff. And and then in the later seasons, they just didn't really care about what they went through as a family anymore. So that's when I, you know, I really lost it. But those first seasons when they were just, you know, they were awesome because they were pretty and could kick people's butts. Like that was the extent of why they were cool. They didn't need some like over explanation as to why they were pretty women and like to show it off every single day. Yeah, they didn't feel the need to justify or, or to explain away their sexuality. That was a part of the the different characters and they each had their own vibe with that like i particularly enjoyed um when they i, I referenced the halloween episode earlier but when they travel back in time and they're one of them is going to have to midwife a birth the phoebe and, and Prue are like well uh piper come on you're the one who's going to have kids of the three of us so baby's you you go do it <laughs> and it's it's, it's kind of sad that for me is uh, a big deal you don't usually see especially from an earlier show you, you see that more now but the notion of women who are in no hurry to settle down and have kids and and like i'm not quite sure how old they're supposed to be but late 20s 30s that kind of a thing it, it it's a different type of femininity than maybe we are used to seeing and that's certainly something i appreciated i also like that in the in the it doesn't really happen after that but in the first episode there is a reference to female masturbation that's true. Yeah, and, and this notion that instead of uh, Shannon Doherty being the, the, like, the bitchy, slutty character, like some people might have thought coming off of 90210, they're like, oh, God, she really needs to get laid. She's just, oh, this is just, that's an interesting way to start out introducing your, your Shannon Doherty character, as far as I'm concerned. A woman's scorn coming off a broken engagement. That was yeah. actually, like, something that kind of bugged me was, like, throughout that, there's a couple episodes in that first season where, like, if someone's not getting laid, the other two girls will just, like, harass them about it until they get laid. Like, dudes, give a girl a break. <laughs> well, they're, they're, and again, that goes back to the rapport between the characters. And, and I think that also maintains later when Rose McGowan comes in, too, that they are absolutely in each other's business. That's the kind of relationship that they have. And they will absolutely give each other crap about their love lives. Um, and I was a little disappointed to see in the finale to see them kind of uh, walk back from that. And now <laughs> all of them, obviously not Prue, because, you know dead uh, but the other three all end up married with uh lots of kids and three kids each actually yeah. Keep that theme. yeah and that's what fulfills them uh but 
you know, I, I, I do think uh, on the scale of things, I do think it's a solid finale. And I really like the how self-aware it is. It's one of the strengths of the show as far as I'm concerned. And um, and, and it, it's a it feels similar to me to the Parks and Rec finale in a weird way, because you do get to see this span of their lives. Um, but in such a, again, self-aware, winking kind of way that just it really fits with the tone of the show. So I, did, I think they did a good job on their series finale. Yeah, same. I went back and watched it because, I, again, I stopped watching probably near the beginning of season eight, I believe. Um, and then I went back and watched it and probably watched a few others throughout just to kind of see how they, you know, how Phoebe and Paige ended up that way, any big arcs that happened. Um, and I, I think they did a good job, you know, with the shaky last season and they brought it together really nicely. Um, I also saw, thought the casting for their eventual um, pairs Victor Webster and Ivan Sergei were really good for that point in like a, a network show. Usually at that point, the budget's gone. No one cares. Whoever they have can go in there. Um, you know, Nick Lachey was on it at one point. Um, so I thought they did a good job with knowing that these guys had to be somewhat relatable and somewhat believable as who all three girls ended up with. Obviously, Brian Krause had been there from the beginning, but um, that it actually made sense that it wasn't just some cardboard cutout that they were throwing in there, that they had like an ounce of personality that would actually feel satisfactory to the audience to watch these people um, have kids with and grow old with um, and so on and so forth. I thought that was really nicely done as they kind of tied it back all together. Well, I think the, the arc that we need to touch on that we haven't yet is, is the Cole Phoebe thing. Um, mm. Because as much as I remember, um, in being so happy when Julie McMahon um, showed up and got Nick Nib Tux, I was like, he was really fun as Cole. Yay, casting! Because uh, it was, you know, again, in my early days of understanding how TV works and all of that. Um, so, th so it was fun to you know watch him be so. One I think he was one of the strengths of the show for a while there. Um, but in rewatching, it's I'm I'm just glad that they didn't have her end up with Cole, <laughs> just because I'm so tired of. Uh, especially genre shows where they have abusive relationships and the, the woman is just trying to save the abusive male partner. It happens all the time with the vampires and the werewolves. And here it's Cole who's evil. Um, so I was, I was very glad that they ended up and maybe that's just because he became too famous for them, but I, I'm glad that the way that that all ended up. Well, and also like he is such a cut rate angel for at least part of that. Cole. He's like, yeah, yeah, like I am a demon with a soul, and it, I'm trapped in hell. I need to be. Oh, really? We're doing this again, except here. Yeah, I and I, but he was such the strength of the show, and that's probably the point where it turns. Because so I think he last comes in like season five or so, and then after that, they kind of just did the big bad of the season, and that's fine. Um, you know, most genre shows do that; they handle it pretty okay. But having it be integral to their emotional status as well as, you know, the safety of the world is when their magical aspects of the story worked the best was when there was actually something that was going to impact them directly. Um, and that was, it was going to make them happy or it was going to make them sad. It wasn't just saving the world for the sake of saving the world. So the whole thing with Cole, yeah, it got a little repetitive when it was like, Oh, I am the source. I'm the source and I don't know it. Am I the source? And, you know, whatever the case would be. But he was great. And he and Alyssa Milano had a lot of great chemistry. 
and especially when they were angry at each other, which is just so important that they could actually pretend or not pretend, who knows, that they were at odds and could still have some chemistry as that's going on. Because that's, again, there's like very abusive elements, but that's some real relationships sometimes where you're just like, oh, God, you're the worst. But what do we do? Um, you know, we're going to get married and then you're going to trick me into having a kid, whatever. Um, I, I, I liked the Cole storyline and going back, it's even more apparent how important it was to raising the quality of the show for those three, three and a half seasons, whatever the case. Mm-hmm. And the, the last thing, uh, arc that I'll mention, uh, cause I mentioned it earlier in season one, I, cause I used to watch charm with my sister and we were, uh, we were very angry when they killed off Andy. We're like, how could you kill Andy? Andy uh, is the good guy. It was like my first experience with that. I, I, I think I was watching Buffy at this point, but uh, I, it was more intermittent with that, based just because of my the schedule of my life. I didn't, so I, I hadn't been weeded yet. I think I was just mad at them for doing that to Prue. I think it was like the the emotional stage I was at with the show when I was first watching it. Uh, do we have any other characters that we want to specifically mention? Uh, Simon? I was just going to say Daryl's another great example of characters who at a certain point are just around to strictly be male functionaries. Yeah, we need to get out of jail. Daryl, we need to cover this thing up with internal affairs. Where's Daryl? Um, do we want to, I, I don't know if you watch any of these episodes Simon, but do we want to talk about the adult Chris storyline briefly? Uh, I, I didn't, but yes, go ahead. I do remember when that was revealed, watching the show when that was you know revealed and thinking back to some kind of creepy uh, flirting with Paige that had gone on early in that arc. Uh, but again, that was another one where I was glad that they did not make him a love interest. Yeah, that could have gotten really creepy, but I just remember that being probably the first arc that they just completely dropped the ball on and was so awkward and I don't even know. And then he died the day he was born as like a baby. It was a mess. It was a, that was a so bad. Um, that was the first time where I was like, what is even going on in this writer's room? I didn't know what a writer's room was, but like, what is going on on this show that could possibly possess you? No pun intended to, make this a thing and then i also remember the adult wyatt actor was terrible it was just like the the worst again kind of just a cardboard cutout of like here we're gonna place him here on screen he looks like what wyatt would look like 20 years from now sure well i just love that as you as you watch charmed you can see the progression of the wb yes through its male actors so you start the show with andy and daryl and you end the show with Chris and Wyatt and they are the, the there's your Damon and uh and Stefan right there with those yeah. two get the guest stars too I like made a couple of notes when I was going through the episode description so season one some of the major guest stars we have John Cho NCIS's Michael Weatherly Michael Trucco and David Carradine and then by the time we get to season six and seven we go Eric Dane Nick Lachey Billy Zane Billy Drago and then Charisma Carpenter, which is basically the WB's female version of Stephen Amell, as much as I love her. But it, yeah, it's just it's really funny that you can definitely see that progression happen um, kind of with budget and with who they prefer, prefer to cast. Yeah, the type 
of male lead that they're casting is so at least for me watching it now as i watched the beginning of the show I was like oh look they're casting men to play men and at the end of the show it's like oh they're casting uh old you know they are aged they are men but they are playing boys and that is they're at least that's the look that they are going for and it is very interesting for me to watch the progression of the wb within like over the arc of the show i would say one thing that doesn't change though is that on Charmed, there are two body types, male and female. Yes, that does not change over the arc <laughs> of the show. Very true. Do we have any other final thoughts? Did you guys want to talk about the music or the theme song or any of that other other production elements? I'm just, I'm so, I know it's a minor element, but I'm so flummoxed at why you would choose How Soon Is Now to soundtrack your witch show. I mean, the first line is, I am the sun and the air. Yeah, like but, air, like like as in you know, descendant, not like the air. Well, and you say that, but I thought this was hilarious because when you were telling me this, you were typing it out. I I just couldn't stop laughing because when I watched the show for years, I just thought it was I am the S U N, I am the A I R to tie in with like the elements and their witches. Uh, so it that never in a million years would have occurred to me that no, they mean S O N and H E I R. So I thought that was hilarious when you pointed that out. Which is why they cut it off before they get to the next line, which is of a shyness that is criminally vulgar, which also really wouldn't have worked. That, that yeah. would not have worked. Until I knew who the Smiths were and how soon is now, I had no idea. And I think I looked up those lyrics one day. I was like, oh, this is actually very not a match for this show. But I loved it when it was on. And I, I don't understand how Netflix still doesn't have it, but that's all right. I did want to shout out the whole... Um, p3 situation because that was probably the first time i don't know if it was the first show on the wb but it was definitely one of the first shows on the wb kind of cw that did the whole music from this episode by or you know featured music by and that was my first point of loving being able to identify songs on tv shows um which i still do and the fact that they basically made p3 an outlet to highlight indie bands or famous bands when they could get them that you know one tree hill eventually did that the oc eventually did that oh, buffy every- and the bronze too exactly um it, you know they kind of it was a very organic way to be like oh here's a five minute music break here's dish walla like <laughs> it was fun and it was a place for them to hang out so it worked for the story um and kind of gave them a place away from the house when they clearly were losing a little bit of access to the Ein's house as the seasons went on and needed somewhere else for them to shoot. But it, I just always loved that aspect where, oh, a band is here. Let's watch them play for two minutes and have some exposition over it or something along the likes. Um, I always appreciated that part of it. Yeah. Fair just enough. hearing the word dishwalla gave me like a tremor of, oh, <laughs> I haven't heard that in a while. There is one last thing I did want to mention, though, uh, before I forget here. And that's Simon, you had the best idea ever as we were talking about uh, the show before we started recording. And I think you should share it with our listeners. What do you think should happen with Charmed? Um, I think that Charmed should get a reboot, new showrunner, new writers, and the sisters are played by the Gummers. All three. All three. One of them is apparently only a model but it's charmed. They can figure it, it out. Be Alyssa Milano part. Not taking anything away from Alyssa Milano's acting, but 
<laughs> well, and that is the youngest of the gummers. I so love the gummers individually, the ones that I'm familiar with, obviously, not the the uh, the littlest gummer. I think it's Louisa, right, gummer? I'm not familiar with her work. But uh, that sounds amazing to me, and I, I had no interest. I was like, that's just stupid. Don't ever do a Charmed reboot. That's Why would you do that? That's just stupid. Until, Simon, you had to put the notion of getting to see the gummers play sisters in my brain and now it needs to happen. Witching Sisters. It would be like that one awesome bit in American Horror Story Season 3. It cut the whole show. Well, and again, because for me, I think there's so many great ideas here. And there's so, like, it, my issues with the show just come down to the execution of some of the plot lines. But So if you could get a team of really good writers and a good showrunner and the Gummers together, that just would be amazing. Here's alternate theory for you guys. Uh-huh. Since in San Francisco, even, I mean, California, whatever, can we get the Haim sisters? The Haim sisters? I mean, <laughs> they're, they, I feel like they could be good. They have like a witchy feeling about them. I, I say we just have like, what if it was limited run series, mm-hmm. like six to eight episodes each, and then three sets or different sets of three pop culture sisters every time for like, <laughs> Five years they can just be all around the world it can just be like no there's charmed ones everywhere <laughs> but, yeah, well the listeners you'll have to let us know you'll have to pitch us your sisters to be uh in the new reboot of charmed one of these you know what is what are the different and of course each time they have a different first letter name that they all share you know yes absolutely yeah, yeah just let's just go through the alphabet we could lock, come on, lock this down season, let's go let's do it that sounds awesome <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Whitney, for coming back on the podcast. Where can our listeners find you online? So I am at Sound On Sight for the most part. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at WhitneyM02. It's a lot of random television thoughts, some sports thoughts. Um, you know what you're getting into. Um, <laughs> yeah, so give me a follow and uh, all my links are there for other places besides Sound On Sight. Great. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 